At the signal, time will be out of joint. And welcome to Weird Signal, a podcast of all things weird, eerie, and hauntological. I'm Lucy, and I'm here with Sean. Hello. And we're joined by uh, Max Feldman. Is there, a, is there actually a Vaughn in there? There, is, there actually isn't a Vaughn in there. Okay, we're joined by Max von Feldman, uh, who is, um, who is uh, one of Sean and mine's old uni buddies. And um, so uh, Max Feldman <laughs> is the uh, arts editor of the Chelsington... And- <laughs> Chelsington. <laughs> oh my god, it's too early for this shit. <laughs> Max, who are you and what do you do? I'm Max, possibly Von Feldman, and I'm the arts editor for Kensington, Chelsea and Westminster today, where I review basically anything they throw at me. Cool. And you've been kind of like a back... I feel you've been a background presence on this podcast for like, it's the, almost the entirety of its two-year existence, even if you've not actually featured on it till today, which is a crime. If nothing else, you were present in spirit, and we probably stole, like, remarks and jokes from you at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> we won't pay you, you for it. You will be hearing from my lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so um, in this episode, this is kind of... This is... This, this is, this is, yeah. This is the fun one. This is the season two rap party, Basically, as it yeah. were. Um, we do have a subject. We have a thing we're going to okay. be talking about. But we have done essentially no preparation whatsoever. But, so I mean, strap felt, in. We felt that it would be appropriate to, yeah, because we're going to be going on hiatus for a couple of months just because we're really tired and my brain's falling apart. So, uh, although, um, we, although we yeah. do have uh, some stuff that will be coming out in that time. I've, oh, got, an, true, yeah. I've got an interview lined up with someone I'm very excited mm. about. Um, which should drop sometime in November. Um, I think in in the context of this episode, it's going to be very, very audible, the fact that I have paused the Patreon income. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's clipping. I'm moving it further away. That's just the concept of you having paused the Patreon income. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that is... And we're going to have to speak a bit louder now. <laughs> I, I think I can rise. Just occasion. always face okay, the mic. Always face so, the mic. Um, you don't have to always face the mic. I mean, it's, I, mean I can hear you. Um, you can hear me. We're, not, we're facing away from each other. I just don't like making eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, basically, we're going to be covering a subject and an individual, uh, which I felt was appropriate for kind of Halloween. Uh, and also this podcast. I think it's something we've been kind of like kicking around the idea of doing for a while, uh, which is the history and legacy of um, one Colin Wilson. Colin Bloody Wilson, I yes. think you'll find. <laughs> a man of a, st- a strange kind of duality. Uh, I mean, like... One you wanna... might say but he has he unifies the qualities of both trick and trick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like... His... Shall He's we, someone wh- who I feel both, like, bad about making fun of, but because he is kind of genuinely an interesting figure in his own right, but then any time I ever turn to any... Nah! Any time I ever turn to any of his work, I feel completely vindicated in every single dunk I've enacted <laughs> upon his name yeah. and legacy i had the similar experience when i was doing like what what research i did do for all this episode was like i kind of like ended up at a point where i kind of like i did end up sympathizing him as um as a person sympathizing with him as a person more than i expected to but also 
despising more than I did before. Like, it's a very strange... It's, it's very difficult. And I'm also aware of Max, as you say, said before we started recording, you don't know who Colin Wilson yeah, is. Yeah, you should explain but, to I mean, Max and, by extension, the audience who he is. But you were saying, Max, sorry. But from all, I, all I've been able to pick up is that, like, him and Garth Marenghi have never been in the same room, from what you were saying. I, I, that never, is significant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, like... He's kind of sort of the... The strange dad inventing stuff in his shed school of philosophy. Um, <laughs> I guess it's like it was technically Mansfield's Mothbug because he yeah, yeah it's it's like it's like kind of like a kind of uh, a, a, a philosopher a philosopher trying to capture the the nature of consciousness and reality and uh, the the status of the human and for these various existential questions in a shed. It's very much a kind of like outsider artist type vibe, and also write a book called Space Vampires. Yes, <laughs> I mean, which we'll come to later. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, shall I give a potted history? I, of I Colin think Wilson? so. Yeah. So, so like Colin Wilson, he did genuinely have an a, an interesting kind of like life. He, um, how he sort of like came onto the scene is he kind of out of nowhere in the fifties. He just got a book published at the age of twenty four called The Outsider. And The Outsider, like, genuinely, literally was an overnight sensation. He said he went to bed one day, no one knew who he was, and he got the paper in the morning, and suddenly he was famous because of this book he put out. Mm. And The Outsider is a, um, it's an exegete, it's an exegetical work of sort of like philosophical literary criticism, basically. It's in which he just goes over various different iterations of this type, which he calls the outsider. Uh, the outsider is the is someone who, for various different kind of combinations of reasons and factors, just ends up um, distancing themselves from uh, the social order. Um, and, and there are different kind of iterations of the outsider, different reasons why this happens. But, gen but it's very tied in with uh, the existentialist philosophy that was very, very popular uh, on the continent uh, at the time. That this, the um, the figure who sort of like has almost kind of Lovecraftian seen too much of like the falseness of the world and the social order and the uh, cultural values we have. And in this literal state of, and ends up in a literal state of existential crisis and then has to try and invent the me uh, meaning for themselves. And like Wilson, I said, he wrote this when he was 24. He wrote it when he was, like, just to pass the time, really, when, he, um, yeah. when he'd when he finished writing a novel called uh, Ritual in the Dark while he was being considered by his publisher. Mm. And he just sort of, like, wrote The Outsider, just sort of, like, more, more or less spontaneously. In a shed. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, technically, okay. So I, I'm not sure if this is true of The Outsider, but this was true of the situation when he was writing Ritual in the Dark, which was, he was, like... Just sleeping. He was, just in he was a, sleeping rough. He was sleeping yeah. in a sleeping bag in Hampstead on Hampstead Heath, and like to save so, to yeah. save money on rent. Yeah, <laughs> and cycling into town, having just like a grease sandwich, and <laughs> like at a local cafe, then going to the British Library and writing, and then going back to Hampstead Heath to just like roll about. Like, do you want any meat in that? Just, just, no, just rub the sausage inside. Just the grease. Just the grease <laughs> and the bread. No, this was um, this was uh, a bit of uh, background information that I was introduced to by. Um, the God bless him, like probably only serious Colin Wilson scholar <laughs> going at the moment, a guy called Gary Valentine, who did a very good introduction about um about just like the life and kind of legacy of Colin Wilson for the folk horror at the British Museum it, uh, exhibition sort of symposium 
at uh, in 2016. Um, Sean's got a face on because I forgot to tell him it was happening. <laughs> and, uh, I'm sorry that. about that. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I don't hold grudges. Uh, I, leave, I leave that to vengeful God. Yeah. Wipe that face off your face. To be honest, some of the talks are as good as the other talks. We're not going to say who or which, but some of them were very, very good, and I, I really hope they do it again. And also. Um, this, this podcast is no. very much indebted no, to the, the work of the Folk Horror Revival blog. It's brilliant. And Reese Shearsmith, a, a visibly hungover Reese Shearsmith showed up. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, Speaking but... of invisible hangovers, Max and I got through three bottles of wine last night after, whilst watching Max name of the film. The persecution and assassination of John Paul Marat under, um, by, the, uh, by the inmates of the Charenton Asylum under the direction of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, I you. should also point out that Max is currently dressed as Napoleon. Well, no, you've got a like, Napoleon hoodie. I mean, I'm just an, I've got, also got a, a full rose spear outfit in the background and you're not wearing it. And I'm personally quite hurt by that. Stick it on <laughs> Um, so yes, uh, Colin, Colin Wilson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that talk by Gary Valentine, while it was very good, uh, hit a bit too much of the hagiographical and just like sadly neglected any mention of space vampires or the, the kind of the, the spider world Ooh, sequence. The spider world? The one where it's like kind of the world is ruled by spiders. And they kind of fly about. Uh, I think they have psychic powers as well. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The uh, so, but like, but uh, like Colin Wilson, his like his sudden sort of like ascendance, like inevitably, <laughs> inevitably came sort of like was shortly followed by an absolute calamitous um, descent from which he, he his reputation, his career never really recovered. Because what happened? Essentially, what happened is that. It's difficult to actually pin down precisely what was that went on because he was being, I think it was like just the curse of having a success, a very successful first book. Because what, because um, the outsider, like what I've, what I've read a bit in preparation for was it's a pretty decent piece of like exegetical work. And it's kind of like all over the place. It needed tightening up. But like he wrote it like when he was 24 on the whim. It's like brilliant. It's better than any shit I've written. <laughs> uh, and um, he, but he, I think what ended up happening is he some some completely dubious unfounded allegations were made apropos of nothing by his father-in-law who read the notes of ritual in the dark which is a kind of jack the ripper-esque serial killer philosophical novel about finding meaning in the godless world or something. Uh, it, it sounds tremendous. One of those. I've not, I've not read it, but it sounds, it sounds terrible. But he re- apparently his father-in-law read the notes for all of this and thought this was Colin Wilson's diary <laughs> and burst in on a, t- on a dinner party Colin Wilson was at, which was being hosted by, Colin Wilson's own words, by a dreadful old queer. Um, We're going to be getting just, a lot onto like, the bad things that Colin Wilson has said yeah. and done later. So, like, he burst so, in so that's the- a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> It's pretty okay up until this point. He burst in and declared and shouted at Colin Wilson, you sir are a homosexual <laughs> with six mistresses. And like, <laughs> and this got, nice. this got pub, and like, this like got published that sort of like, oh, Colin Wilson is like a weird sex man in, in the newspapers. And <laughs> like, in and, in, was, or, and in, in order to try and like temper this, Wilson did a 
very foolish thing, and he submit he he gave his actual real diary to the Daily Mail to sort of like as oh, proof. Oh, of great. Like, oh no, fix everything. But yeah, his idea of speech, Look, they'll read my diary. They say, but no, these were notes for a novel. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a lunatic. But Colin Wilson <laughs> I'll, I'll did not have <laughs> a very accurate self-assessment of himself, and he believed very sincerely in his own genius. And he wrote about this in his diary, including statements like, "I am without doubt the literary genius of the 20th century." And he gives this to the Daily Mail, who of course print this. And Colin Wilson is immediately, like his reputation just crumbles into ashes, much like a space vampire who's been pierced with a sword through the energy centre two inches below the heart. Flawless. Uh, (laughs) And his his next philosophical book, which is called Religion and the Rebel, which just was completely... um, poo-pooed by the popular press as sort of, and he became known not inaccurately as someone who writes books which are just quotations from other people's books which is what the outsider is that's why i'm saying it's an exegetical work more than a philosophical work and he just and his reputation he didn't like like obviously i felt very sorry for him when i read all this because like he clear like it's like um in the, the obituary to him the guardian put quite well but look if he had been surrounded with basically better people who had perhaps been a little bit bolder in telling him what his actual thoughts were and how he needed to improve as an artist and as, a, as, an, as, and as an intellectual. His life probably wouldn't have gone in quite as bad a direction. But this being said, like, I also don't feel that bad about dunking on him. The phone's off, Max. I don't feel that bad about dunking on him because he didn't exactly... He was never destitute. He actually lived a very comfortable life in a house in Wales, with, in, in, in Cornwall. I mean, the whole with, Hampstead Heath thing was... Like it's entirely voluntary. Yes, and like he did, like he published over a hundred books, and he was never like, and like he ended up with a very niche audience. But he was always very popular with that circle. So like, mm. I don't. So like, yeah, he didn't have like the great victories he was expecting, but he was never exactly badly off. Nor was he ever really poor after this point in his life. So like, yeah, it's fine to make fun of this of this guy. Yeah, um, throw it out there. Do you think there's a possibility that The Outsider was such a big runaway success because a lot of people thought they were buying a Camus translation and were disappointed when they got it home? Quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, where things, but like the thing, but what? I mean, I'm sure it like would have read it as like maybe. Well, no, he was definitely dining out on that in some of the past. Yeah, yeah. He, quote, yeah. he quotes a lot from Camus yeah, the Outsider yeah. in, in the Outsider, yeah. Uh, but I think it was known. I think it was known as the Stranger in English at the time. To be no. fair to him, I think it was known uh, as the Stranger, not the Outsider. I think it's the the Le Stranger is yeah. the is the friend. So when I brought it over here. It was the Outsider. And so I was. I mean, this was this was the fifties. I think it might have been yeah, called the Stranger yeah. then. Well, I, I was. Just, it was. I just was. Just, it ruined me in university because people would say the Stranger by Cameron. Like, I actually think you'll find it's called the Outsider. And then I realised I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah, but where, where things like really go off the rails with for Colin Wilson? Because, like I said, he had a very bad ability of assessing his own like brilliance, and he was a profoundly arrogant man. And he was commissioned to write a book on the occult by his publisher. Like, but he'd literally just said, "Hey, you know what's selling at the moment? Books about he the was occult." Quite a flexible writer. I mean, like, he, he was a job well writer. Doing, yeah. yeah, he does as well as doing the whole kind of like um, amateur philosophizing. He also, um, yeah, as, you know, as with Ritual in the Dark, he was um, a fairly competent true crime writer. And one of the main, um, one of the main kind of reference or one of the big like good um studies of i think it's fred and rose west is um is his his book or was it the more no it was fred and rose west and it was um 
it had a cool name. It was something like the the the, the sunken garden or something. Um, wait, Colin Northwest. Wilson. <laughs> Why is Southwark? West of Hell. Wait, sorry, Colin Wilson's Southwark <laughs> came up as a, oh Southwark, right? Oh, okay. oh, oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> For a moment, a huge blossoming possibility is immediately dashed. Okay, wait, uh, Fred West. The corpse garden. Okay, that's actually the nice. co- <laughs> that's not good. The corpse garden. Right, I mean, yeah, where they put the bodies. So, uh, the the yeah. is such a misstep. Corpse garden. Like, that's, that, that, that pops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, so he wrote a book on the occult. And during the writing of this, he became absolutely convinced of, like, the reality of the occult. But in such a way whereby Colin Wilson seems to have believed in ev- everything. Like every paranormal thing, all of them, all of them are like, is he just go- especially well, the contradictory ones? <laughs> uh, ghosts, telepathy, precognition, aliens, vampires, maybe werewolves. Space vampires? Yeah, maybe <laughs> space vampires. Uh, he, he, he does, yes, he seemed to just convince, he just became, because he was, I, I, it's not exactly clear how this happened, because in the introduction to it, he just said he became during his research, convinced of the reality of these things. But, like, it's... Yeah, and for the rest of his life, essentially, like, his literary output would sort of, like... He wrote tons of books about the paranormal, and which, again, are incredibly credulous books. I read um, a bit of his book, Poltergeists, um, Mm. in preparation for our last Halloween episode, actually. And it's awful. It's just (laughs) dreadful, because, like, the the opening, like, uh, chapters, he just, like, describes, like, the a potted history of the spiritualist movement in which he just doesn't mention like all the, any of the well-known like the, the well-known fact that a lot of these things were like proven hoaxes like at like at the time he wrote this like he would have known that sort of like the fox sisters would like everyone knew it was bullshit like but he doesn't <laughs> doesn't mention this in this book about like he's talking about right. them or anything like That's, this he just what uh, happens if you only read one article <laughs> 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 corroborate and don't corroborate anything but uh, if you don't check yeah. the, if you don't check the citations on so wikipedia it's kind yeah. of like a poundland alan moore experience well, of writing from that hell was the thing. i was gonna <laughs> yeah i was thinking like his his career does have a kind of okay i'm just gonna say like up front Alan, I think Alan Moore's great. And I think we've, Controversial we've expressed <laughs> I, I really, you know, I... I, I that's there interesting. Was, I... Vendetta and Watchmen were my, you know, awakening to a lot of culture when I was a teenager and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was... Uh, and, and also, also, I owe him for getting me into Lovecraft via mm-hmm. Yugoth cultures and other growths. Um, yeah, basically, well, I, I, I raise kind of Alan Moore as a figure there because... So with Colin Wilson, his career can be almost fairly kind of neat... Well, career in terms of, like literary fame can be very neatly kind of divided into two things because we have um i mean i'm just calling back to the the gary valentine talk that didn't mention the space vampires (laughs) the reason you know it just focused exclusively on his writing about the outsider and his kind of like psychogeography of london and his kind of like his stuff that has kind of more artistic credibility or kind of cultural or critical credibility and then just like that that the complete absence of his sci-fi work after that it just it's like there's two different figures and i thought they were two different <laughs> figures for a time um but at the same time what's happened with uh, colin wilson is his he picked up as well as you know once the, once his literary fan base kind of died away after all the bullshit <laughs> came out he picked up and, and had a very successful career i think with the paranormal stuff simply because um fans of the paranormal, enthusiasts of the paranormal, whom I love, 
um, are very, very keen to kind of jump on someone who can give what they believe in an air of academic credibility. And this is something that comes up a lot in kind of, in just a lot of context. And so it's like, um, you know, and so now it's like, oh, you know, this is someone who's writing about ghosts in uh, exactly the same kind of extremely credulous terms that I deal with them in. Uh, let's, uh, but but they're also writing about existentialism and, and, and intent, you know, and continental philosophy and impressive sounding things. And it's like, no, this is clever. And by kind of extension, even if I can just kind of like forget or kind of uh, displace uh, my my um, kind of literalness in this and to while reading this and kind of, have some sort of like validation of an idea after the fact via via kind of just the the image of like here's someone very clever talking about it and it's the same it's the same thing you get with people like I guess Charles Fort Charles Fort is very is very well regard well it's kind of like he's I think gets a, a much more kind of hagiographic treatment than I'm not going to say that he warrants but you know there certainly would um, generally be bestowed on someone um, of his like kind of um, repute. Just because uh, he he did have that kind of that intense kind of data mining element, mm. his um his kind of um, just obsessive collecting and stuff, and the way and the fact that he was very spo- well spoken, he was I think he was like a Oxford or Cambridge graduate or something, and you know and just gave it a very much a sheen of credibility in the same way that Colin Wilson does. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Alan Moore is doing the same thing now. In the Alan Moore, his his non-fiction work I have found challenging in that I think I it's just bad like if you ever read his if you ever read his like history of sexuality and stuff it's just oh, the weird oh. like jumps of logic the stuff about you know his extremely reductive things about how kind of like um the kind of prudency of um of newfound Christianity uh, was what uh, caused the decline of the Roman Empire because we did a complete opposite <laughs> approach to um, kind of the the uh, you know the what is it who's the guy who wrote the twelve massive William books? Gibson no <laughs> no no <laughs> Edmund Gibbon Gib- is, is it Edmund Gibbon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that feels like it's not a name. I oh my god, you're... William Gibson! Oh, cyberpunk! I'm so sorry, yeah. Edward Gibbon. <laughs> oh my fucking god, look at him! Okay, um, okay, um, yeah. So like, he was he was kind of like Alan Moore is now kind of like belatedly cancelling Edward Gibbon, but in the most in that possible way. And also, you know, um, he's written stuff about he's written written things for like the fourteen times about how. Um, it's like, what is it? The, um, it's like, ah, yes, yeah, so magic, it's kind of, it, uh, it's actually become kind of redundant or discredited as like a kind of a form of scientific exploration. But what if it becomes a form of artistic exploration <laughs> and retains the exact same level of validity it would have had in like 1601 <laughs> through that means? And it's like, that sounds very impressive to say, but it is meaningless. <laughs> And 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 haven't you? Like, you also went to a talk by Alan Moore where like I no did. one challenged him on anything, and he it was, was just very able to reel stuff off. It was and... very disappointing because he would come out with stuff like, um, um, what is it? He said sort of like um, our like the universe as a film being played through the projector, and the projector was our minds, and ever and like from the audience, it's going, oh, what? <laughs> I like because I had like and because like when it came to question, like when he started taking like questions from the audience, it was very much. Um, 
just like stone, like audibly stoned people, just sort of like spewing out a few words about how great Alan Moore was. Mm. It's like quite right, I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, yeah. it, was, it was very disappointing because I had like a proper question, like, like a, the question I wanted to ask him. I was going to ask him sort of like, how much does like Kenneth Grant's work like in like influence your occultism? And uh, yeah, but that was I went with uh, the uh, Diane uh, crew to that uh, hey. boxy and all that. So Shout out. hi guys. Um, the yeah, and it was very. I mean, we all felt quite disappointed because like we got the impression. But if he like, if people had pushed him and challenged him a little bit more, we would have got more interesting mm. answers from him than just this kind of like, like breathless praise for the master. Yeah, and I think I think he does just come out with quite dull things as a result of that because he's just the guy who wrote from Hell and Watchmen, and so it's like, oh yeah, yeah, let's let's, and, let's uh, listen to Lost this Girls. Oh, oh yeah, we ain't talking about that. Right. Yeah. So, so you're saying go if you're cataclysm- cataclysmically stoned then. That, that's the way to go and see Alan yeah. Moore. Then. But that's yeah. the thing, yeah. <laughs> if, had it not been for From Helen Watchmen, mm. anyone else sitting that would have just been like all the other stoned people in the audience. <laughs> just just yeah. saying, you know, what if what if uh, every, you know the, the universe isn't real and everyone's just robots trying to trick me? And oh, actually, no, people are saying that in, in earnest now. But, um, <laughs> but or like, you know... Um, you know the guy that corners you with a can of red stripe at a party and just won't stop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've all been. There. We've all been. There. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little seg. Uh, I have a good little segue back to Colin Wilson here. Yeah. In that, in his really good moats at the end of From Hell, where Alan Moore just kind of like goes over sort of the territory a bit, sort of like what he's been drawing from and the various different theories about the identity of Jack the Ripper. He mentions an anecdote from Colin Wilson where I can't remember the exact details of it. Um, actually, Max, do you have a copy of... Oh. I don't know where it is. Okay, no, I have no. three copies and they've all disappeared one by one. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where uh, supposedly Wilson was um, having dinner with some kind of like nameless agent of the establishment. And because I... Because Wilson was in business card, because Wilson was a fan of like the royalist conspiracy theory about the identity of Jack the Ripper, he was told in no uncertain terms that if you continue to drag that noble name <laughs> through the mud, certain doors will remain forever closed to you, and you will never receive your knighthood. <laughs> and there's different ways you can interpret this, right? Like um, the one, like. One interpretation being that he was so close to the truth, they had to shut him down with these threats. The, but I prefer that, like, because he, he just kept on insisting that sort of like this minor royal was Jack the Ripper, apropos of no real evidence. He just was like, they just sent someone and said, Look, Colin, please stop going on about it. If you do, knighthood in it for you, mate. For God's sake, come on. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so, so, yeah, spooky. Hey, anyway, got back to Colin Wilson. I feel, but, I feel um, we should just like flag what? up kind of some of some of the substance of his existentialist beliefs because they were, yes. cause they, they're not, when, when you go into them, they do actually, you know, even though this was his early Colin Wilson, they do actually, in hindsight, sound a lot more paranormal than, um, than, than you know, than one would have assumed. You know, there one is, would have really applied to someone like Satcher or Kamei. There is, like, there are interesting things there. Like, I think that, uh, like, one thing that he um, uh, observed once in an interview, very correctly, was that the philosophical landscape uh, in Britain at the time, and to a slightly lesser extent now, is um, very much dominated by the analytic tradition of philosophy, which is very hostile to, um, the, con- you know, to the continental traditions that you know, have manifested as you know, postmodernism and structuralism and deconstruction, and before that existentialism and phenomenology and so on. And he 
like it, it, like actually quite like how he put this. He put this in an interview um, that um, he talked about sort of how Van Gogh would go through sort of like his like two like great like he you know when Van Gogh was up like like the universe is a joyous place when he's down is a cataclysmically melancholy place, and he points out to the British philosophical establishment at the time he was writing his philosophical works the question which of these like modes of being is the true one would be dismissed as a meaningless question and obviously it's not a meaningless question it's a really profoundly meaningful question and so wilson was kind of um he was sort of he was he was drawing a lot from this other tradition of philosophy which was not really academically welcome in britain at the time and i think that's why like he published these books non-academically in the popular press and there was like a readership for them people were interested in the stuff that was going on uh, on the continent um existentialism is quite a compelling literary philosophy almost and so and like and the actual like, substance of a lot of what he's saying and he draws i mean he is quite he's not an enormously original thinker everything he says is has was said before by Sartre and Camus and Heidegger and Nietzsche and Kierkegaard <clears throat> and the but he does a pretty does a pretty good job of sort of synthesizing things together into you know a pretty compelling and accessible picture he talks a lot about um again in terms that are quite familiar to anyone who studied existentialism he talks about um how for the most part in our lives are not actually that uh, aware of our actions and decisions that we can't that he talks about 50, uh, 51% of us as he puts it is sort of like just this robot running things for us and what he wants to try and do is, and what he wants to try and do so there is something quite spiritual about this like, like you were saying Lucy so wants to make us more aware of ourselves more aware of the of the fact that we are beings that make decisions about our lives and we do actually have choices available to us that um, sometimes that we, we shouldn't, we should override the robot almost. And I think that's not, that's not like a terrible way of framing a lot of the insights of existentialism. It's very similar to the stuff Heidegger talks about when he talks about uh, authentic, authentic being and sort of like um, the discovery of, of uh, our responsibility for our actions and so on. Um, and but he kind of and he framed this a lot in terms that were in uh, later on sort of like after his early uh, his very earliest period he kind of like the way he frames it is actually quite like he uh, he found an audience in the human potential movement and in kind mm. of like humanistic psychology which is is all quite dodgy is the problem yeah. like because you I mean, end there is there is, i think it just does bear saying like he uh when he was approaching the uh, matters of consciousness uh, and the and the and kind of the old questions of like uh, matter versus thought and whether thought exists as a separate form of matter or or thought existing it's exclusively independently of matter and things that was kind of where the the split the jumping off point from his philosophy into or his um, more kind of straight or kind of analytic philosophy into his paranormal kind of cosmic psychic ideas one might say mm -hmm. um and you know and and he talk, yeah, talks yeah. about the genesis field i think and stuff like um because he, he talks yeah. about like he does talk about consciousness as as a very mysterious thing which it is like it is like it is something that has um 
resisted um, sort of like to like um, direct science. Well, no, I don't want to say resisted scientific scrutiny the, because yeah. because that that feels a bit um, that feels a bit sort of like wishy washy. But yeah, he does like he does like like he was a very very observant reflective man in some ways. Uh, and like he talk and like he talks about um, growing up how he did often go through these like periods of like really profound sort of like angst in like in the existential sense of the word of sort of like awareness of like the futility of of of, of things and the vastness of the world around mm. us and sort of like the, and that great kind of like traumatic feeling of our meaningless in the face of this and like he, and he talks about um it was very interesting he talks about when he was a young, when he was um uh i think it was, it was 18 he sort of like he had a suicide attempt he was working he was uh he was studying chemistry uh and he resolved one that you know what i'm, go- I'm gonna do it i'm just gonna fucking kill myself this is pointless and he says and he, and he, what he describes happening is he went into the laboratory and he took a beaker of uh sulfuric acid and he said that he was about to drink it and he said that he had this sudden almost and almost moment of well, i think he later on said it was a moment of precognition but he said at the time he said an almost a moment of precognition where he just became very aware of what he would feel if he did do this of the absolute horrendous agony of his death yeah, and he's really that, that bad way to commit suicide and he, said, <laughs> Worst. and he said he had this kind of moment of revelation where he realized that there was this like he said there were these two beat persons that i was there was this one that was going to this he said there was this damn fool who's going to kill himself and then there was called colin wilson then there was this other thing which is this other part of me which isn't doesn't want to do that but um and would die if i if that happened he had this kind of like moment of absolute joyous elation where he kind of like realized that he could that what he didn't want was death he wanted life and more abundant life and that's quite that's actually quite pr- profound in a way that's quite meaningful i, I like that uh but like he and like he and there's often the case where I think with a lot of like these thinkers, like he does actually diagnose a lot of the things that are actually kind of shitty about the world. You know, sort of that modern society is quite is you know, vacuous and superficial. That um, we are trapped in a world that apparently has no meaning to it, and so when we do end up with the great existential question of what do we do? What do do I just drink this beaker of acid, or do I? Go get six mistresses. Go and get six <laughs> become a homosexual. Six mistresses. Um, that's an interesting thing. I mean, in I think we possibly did we read the same Guardian obituary of Colin Wilson. I mean, unless there's more than one Guardian okay. obituary of Colin Wilson, then yes, yeah, no, it's the two different um, sides of it. Basically, I think, uh, I think at this point it's worth bringing up like there was an interesting um, thing because you mentioned Van Gogh earlier, and that came up in the doc- in the uh, obituary uh, and. He one of the most succinct ways he puts his existential philosophy is um, our life in modern society is a repetition of Van Gogh's problem. Wilson said the day to day struggle for intensity that disappears overnight, interrupted by the human triviality and endless pettiness, or by human triviality and endless pettiness. And this was kind of striking because um, one of the things that so I'm just thinking on there's a book he wrote called uh, The Philosopher's Stone which <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where basically and you Colin know, Wilson was, grew up to be J.K. No, this, um, I mean this this was my first encounter with Colin Wilson I had no idea who he was and I want to talk more about this book in um, in the uh, you know in, in a little bit but when we come to discuss his sci-fi kind of head on but one of the things that I think it's interesting kind of to preface a lot of his writing with is he, uh, his attitude towards um, 
towards science fiction writing is even though he was working in an extremely pulp tradition well, I, mean, I mean i guess this is kind of like something that uh can be argued in the context of uh any form of like uh genre literature to use such a bastardized term that uh, that it's kind of like it's specialized and functional knowledge aside from literary merit um which you know so maybe maybe this is, maybe it's entirely appropriate that he was he selected science fiction uh, with such a contemptuous attitude as shown by his statement in the preface to this book where he says that I use science fiction in the same way a mathematician uses paper. Ooh! <laughs> Which is, um, it's like, it's just a kind of like a working out of my ideas. Um, and like, it's meaningless, but I guess it's selling because um, people, you know, these like, these sci-fi goons like to have a bit of thinky-thinky in their, in their slashy zappy. To use a technical term. Yes, yeah, very much. I think that's, um, you know, that, that, that terminology I was actually drawing directly from, from, um, it's a quote, from, the, from the Arthur Sterling uh, introduction to cyberpunk sci-fi. But no, um, so like, basically he he extends his kind of Van Gogh analogy into a really pertinent scene um, of uh, kind of existential angst in the, um, in the Philosopher's Stone, where he says, I think this is slightly, a slightly lengthy quote, but I'm going to read it at length. Um, <clears throat> As a scientist, I'd got used to thinking clearly and logically about important issues, ignoring the trivial, steering clear of negative emotions. In reading about Shakespeare and Bacon, I had never struck, it had never struck me that their life world what is the life world? Because oh, so, you've oh, used that before. Is oh, that life like... world is a, Husserl, is a term from uh, 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 Edmund Husserl. Okay. Um, th- yeah. Um, their life world is made up almost entirely of the trivial and negative. Judged by any modern standard, they are both as outdated as the phlogiston theory of combustion or the Edison phonograph. It's just like <laughs> fucking Google, <laughs> like um, redundant scientific theories, um, or you know, you know, you'd have to go to a library and look at a book. But I suppose that's where he was. That's redundant. Wrote this. Um, it's the opposite of redundant. Redundant. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, just reading read. reading their works, I found myself in a petty, stifling atmosphere, <laughs> such as I once noticed at a party when two homosexuals began quarrelling. It was impossible to get involved in the actions of Macbeth or Antony and Cleopatra because I felt from the beginning that these people are fools, and that consequently nothing happens to them as can possibly matter. But is he talking? In spite, in spite of <laughs> in spite of magnificent literary flashes, I had no more desire to remain in the company of Shakespeare's characters than in the company of the two queers at the party. <laughs> they, they simply didn't matter any more than the quarrels of children matter. As the baker of the later works and essays, I found, my, I found his mind altogether more congenial, but lacking a centre of gravity. They do not spring from any intuitive view of the universe. They are but clever bits and pieces on any subject he chooses to turn his mind to. They are the work of an industrious lawyer, not an inspired thinker. So this guy sucks, then, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Wilson, I know you can hear me in the afterlife. I want to say, go and suck a ghost stick, Colin Wilson. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got on to... Are we in roast mode? Yes, we are in roast mode. Okay, so, okay with that, and that's why this week we're going to be talking about Life Force.
we don't have a synopsis of Life Force. No, let's. It's... Okay, what happens in Life Force? Okay, so. Um, Hayes' uh, Comet is getting near Earth and it's seemingly set in, like, yeah, the, the present day of 1985, but they have like commercial space flight. This is, yeah, I yeah. think you remember more of this film than I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched so the, I, I watched the first half and I wasn't drinking, which was like, uh, cool. yeah, yeah. So I, I I watched it a couple of years ago, but I couldn't finish yeah. it. Yeah, this time around. No, you definitely have to take it in two. Like you just stop. There used to be a lacuna in the middle, so yeah. I like left it a day. So they fly up to yeah. It seems the plan is to fly directly into Haley's Comet. It's never actually directly stated, yeah. but they fly up and several of the some of the worst actors I've ever seen. On, oh on, no, I I will. I will, I will, I will challenge that simply because one of the actors in the spaceship is the lady that plays Madeleine Bassett in the um, Hugh Laurie and um, the, the 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 nineties Jeeves and Worcester adaptation. Okay. She's fucking brilliant. She's like, Alberto, <laughs> yes, I fucking love her. She's the best thing. She's the one that marries. Um, Get marries Gussie Finknottle and then no gets engaged to Gussie Finknottle and then Gussie Finknottle runs away and then Jeeves has to fix everything. Um, Which is every episode. I, I, think, I think she's in it, but she says everything in that exact same tone of voice, but like completely devoid of emotion. Yes, which is kind of unnerving more than anything else. But as they're flying up to Hades Comet, they find this 150 mile long spaceship that looks like a giant umbrella. Uh, which yeah, is actually a, a, a term which they use in the thing, which was designed by John Deekstra for some reason yeah. from of, of Star Wars fame, I, I th- I, of I, Star Wars and Batman and Robin fame. Significantly which... not as good as the Star Wars design. Yes, I go... still quite like it. I think it's like a better design than the film deserved. But well, I mean, it... actually, the design is good. Just like the, the the ship effects and stuff are so ropey. It's just <laughs> it's like I mean, this was only the interior couple... looks good. This was only a couple of years before Red Dwarf, and Red Dwarf did a magnificent job. <laughs> Compared to that, even though Red Dwarf was a was a sitcom, right? <laughs> and this was like a, a you know a high um, a high budget production film. But to be fair, Red Dwarf was shot on location. So they go they go onto the spaceship, and what would they find but some very sexy people? No, no, ah, dead no, back. Uh, no, first. Dial it back. Yeah, oh, yeah. They, oh, they, they I'm moving this further away because it's clipping really badly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that. No, no, no. They live dangerously. Um, if we just stop yelling. It's hard. It's so exciting yeah, to talk about life force. We're all too spectral to yeah. stop yelling. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they like they, they, fly, they fly through a field of quite good-looking dead giant bats. And that, yeah. that's done quite nicely. They're like, frozen. Yeah. And, th- and there's a bit of you that's thinking, oh, maybe this would be quite good. But no. Yeah. And then, then I, the, think, I think I was... I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna withhold judgment and assessment of the qualities of the film until after the synopsis. Okay. I'm just say that. Fair here. play. Um, and then yeah, so they, then they arrive and there's in a room made of crystals, which are all empty and dead, apart from three, which contain three completely naked, two men and a woman. Mm. And uh, what's it called? Of which the men have some very tasteful. Uh, what's it called? Um, things in there, crystal things so you can't see any genitals, whereas the woman you see, like, she's shot every, from every single angle. You can see From Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, um, then, and then your crucial plot point, the men are spontaneously and immediately extremely horny for the woman, and the, the women... Pilots, not so much. Yeah. That's something. The I, only I mean, sexuality there is a that dimension I want to explore yeah. after the synopsis. Mm. So they, they they take them they take them back on board. Um, what's it called? And and then it immediately cuts to thirty days later when the spaceship uh, when their craft is re-entering Earth's orbit 
um, basically like not responding to any um, any radios and slightly um, and slightly off track. So something has gone deeply wrong. Terribly, um, terribly wrong. And so it's, for some reason, it's an English and an, Amer- an American uh, joint space flight. But crucially, it's like it's um, it's a British. Uh, space agency. Yeah, it's not like some British people in collaboration with NASA. Yeah. It's very much the other it, way around. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I think Colin Wilson just assumed was the case. <laughs> the Americans don't care. Like, like at no point do you hear any kind of cross uh, cross country. Like, yeah, the Americans being curious as to what happened to their spaceships. Like, all right, yeah, you deal with it. It's fine. <laughs> um, so they they might they but when when the ship is entered by other other astronauts, it's been a horrible fire and everyone is dead inside of it. Uh, and they say there's no way they can count on the bodies because everyone's been burned alive, despite the fact that all of the bodies are just in their seats. And so you could very easily count the bodies, but apparently that can't happen. Mm. And so they find the three yeah, aliens... Remarkably intact. Yeah. Um, they find, find that the spaceship's pretty remarkably intact, having been on fire from, from the inside of it. Yeah, it's amazing they didn't... You know, I mean, putting out a fire on a spaceship... Also, you can, can just like isolate bits of the ship and expel the oxygen. Mm. I mean, we can do that now. <laughs> and this was I don't think the future is, of 1985. Mm. I don't think this is this is like the kind of like critical avenue we should go down. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave that. Well, for, like, actually, Neil deGrasse Tyson <laughs> <laughs> destroys life force. So they get them. They get these. They get these aliens. Yeah, well, they they get the the humanoids in the uh, in the crystal uh, containers. And they bring them back to their. Um, they bring them back for autopsy because they can't tell if they're a lot like alive or dead or not. And then they just leave them. They just leave them in a room, and they go, "All right, we'll do the autopsy tomorrow." Yeah, they're not even like it's not even like a chilled room, is it? It's no, like, it's, yeah. just, it's whatever one was available to hire that day. There's there's two words that I feel I'll be using a lot during this description, and it's. Containment procedures. You need to have some. <laughs> then they don't. They don't have them at all. And so a guard comes in to basically, it's implied, just feel up the dead alien corpse. And then she, and then her eyes snap oh, yeah, open. I think he's psychically drawn. Yeah, like the like astronaut spontaneously it's, very horny. Yeah. Yes, it's a very it's it's a disciplined movie which is so horny. It's not really very horny. I mean, no. like I even the hottest person on earth. If they're visibly dead, <laughs> you kind of have a bit of um, pause. I suppose they're invisibly dead. Like Sean right now. Hey I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> you're hungover. There's a joke about you going. Oh, so, okay. so do you remember that news story? There was the man. There was the man who was declared so attractive that he had to leave Saudi Arabia. Okay. Yeah. No, I remember that. <laughs> just, just like so damn handsome, the Saudi government told you have to leave. You you have to leave. You, you can't be here. Was that <laughs> real? Apparently, like, it was that. I mean, <laughs> it was something like that. Like I think, they, like I think there was like a like vague obscenity charge or something yeah. because he was just too damn attractive. And they yeah. had to, they had to leave. I mean, Banned I suppose like Arabia. that is kind of. I think if Colin Wilson were alive when that happened, he might have been. Um, he would have he would have um compared that to his theories on kind of like erotopsychical phenomenon uh, and its ability to influence mass culture in such a way as we see in the film Life Force. One of Colin Wilson's novels, and I was devastated to find that this was a novel and not a memoir, as I initially thought, is called Sex Diary of a Metaphysician. (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah. Also, he, wrote, he wrote a lot about sex, but in a very kind of like weirdly joyless way. Well, I mean, that yeah. very much fits with Life Force's whole yeah, no, approach. Yeah, we're, we're getting to that. We, <laughs> we don't have any notes, but I, I see a kind of segment emerging. <laughs> so um, let's, just get, let's just get this fucking synopsis yeah. over with. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so t- it turns out if you get if you like get too horny for the space vampires, then they suck all of your blue horny energy in lightning form out of your face into themselves. You go all shriveled and zombified. But then two hours later, you are you are reanimated and go out a hunting for 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 life energy, life force if you will, <laughs> from other people who get really horny for you. It's kind yeah, of... Yeah, that's never explained. It's that, that's, cause... But there's a bit like... Because like, the guard who gets um, zom- who gets like drained by her, they're about to do an autopsy on him where he suddenly reanimates. And there's a really He's weird moment... Guilty joy. Where the... Where the... Where the... Um, the, the, um, uh, the autopsy guy. Or, what's Technical the name term. of an autopsy doctor? Surgeon. Uh, no. Oh, no. A coroner. Hack, yes, go with that. Happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's about. It's about to. Yeah, because when he reanimates, they cut. There's a bit where, like, the doctor, like, because of, of like the horny energies in head from the vampire gets really horny for like the withered corpse man, and they they don't fucking kiss though, but they just get like really close up and get and sort of like for drainage that happen. It's a bit. There's a there's a lot of that in the movie. The most common shot is someone very slowly moving their head to into like into kissing distance while going no. No! Uh, and this is shot. Yeah, no, that was that was, that was dramatic. <laughs> I'm gonna put it on the shelf. I can just like post production edit the sound to it. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah. and then then the naturally the non-existent containment is breached and the uh, the the female. Are immune to bullets. What are you gonna do? <laughs> like that's the containment you put in a net working class man. <laughs> It was credited as far. I think he's credited as fatherly guard. <laughs> he tries to win her over oh, with a biscuit. Oh, yes. Al, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. It's not, oh Al, love you shouldn't be out here this time. It's it's not it's it's not good. No. It's like, yeah. Sorry, I have a comment on that withholding. I'm just gonna try. And okay, so come to Earth. Blah, 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 they escape. They go off vampiring around the country. They, so they bring in like an SAS guy who is Colonel Kane. Colonel Kane, who I think of the actor, but he plays the head of like the MI5. He plays Harry Pearson in the character. He's in Spooks, which is like the only other thing I've ever seen him in. He's probably one of the best things in the movie. He actually that, is. Yeah. Like, he's having a lot. Of, he knows what movie he's in. He's having a lot of fun doing he's it. He's also uh, kind of like weirdly. Qualified to judge what's going on, despite be, being kind of military personnel rather what, than scientific, think and has just appeared. But everyone kind of like defers to him. What even you think though... is my first space vampire? <laughs> well, <laughs> he shows up and he says he's in the SAS. And when they're talking, and when they're talking about you know how they, how the people have been killed, they the um, the doctor says this very odd thing where it's like, well, all you care about is who killed you know who killed someone and who how. Who killed who? Yeah. And who killed with what? How but, many? But it, why, you kind of get the, the idea of the script thinks that an SAS guy is actually like a police inspector because <laughs> that seems to be like. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna hold this back, but like I, I think like I think we're at the rate we're going, we should probably just like critique as we move yeah. through. Which that the only reason we've not been doing that is because we were like told not to very early <laughs> in our careers. But um, this film was written by a child, as in like I don't know who wrote it. I assumed it was the author of the book who is Colin Wilson because like because it reads exactly like um, it reads exactly like someone who's like a competent 
sort of novel writer who thinks that automatically translates <laughs> over well into script. In the same way, like, we, we at some point we're probably going to do Altered States, but that's another one, like, the, that was, uh, Ken, that was Kevin Kenneth Russell? That was Ken Russell. Ken Russell. Ken, you know, that was it. One of those films that's kind of like Ken Russell's weird post-Devil's career, where his, like, his kind of staggering brilliance is still visible in films with just extremely dumb scripts. <laughs> oh my god, Life Force! Uh, so Life Force was writ- the screenplay was written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay for Alien. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my fucking god! Okay, no, because what I was gonna say was like, no, <laughs> this film was clearly written by someone who'd seen Alien, and it turns out I, I would never in a fucking million years have thought it was like the guy who'd seen Alien because he wrote it. <laughs> Glorious kind of like that, you know, that wonderful um, kind of tension of language. It's like it's very kind of oblique. It's very, it's very much, you know, it's very sparse. It's very ten. It means it maintains tension because it's like very procedural details of things happening. Very little kind of like obviously crowbarred ex- exposition, which is like. This film is nothing but obviously crowbarred in exposition. It's like I'm going towards the pod now. I feel. Mysteriously horny. <laughs> it's like, the, what, why didn't you put up the security procedures? It seemed there was a psychic force affecting our movements, and it's like, and, and oh my it, God. it's all like I'm just the, gonna, I'm just gonna like basically, I saw the film Alien at eleven, and then I um, basically stole it to use in a creative writing assignment in school, and what I wrote more closely resembled life form <laughs> and I was about 11, 12-ish. Mm. No, no, 10. 10, 9, 10-ish. The novel, um, so, like, we should, yes, and I think, like, so, Life Force is based on Colin Wilson's novel The Space Vampires, <laughs> and I, mean, I, I just want to emphasise the name of the book again, The Space Vampires. It's, it's almost as if, like, they, they, they were trying to kind of, like, uh, crawl, you know, dial back his rampant sort of unsubtlety. <laughs> the, I tried to read it, I got, but it's just terrible. It's a terrible <laughs> I too book. tried to read it. It's, it was it's, just terrible. There's so many things I hate about it, right? I, and like, just, like, the first, I don't know why it just bothered me so much, but, but not like the film is set in 1985 and the book is set in the year 2100, <laughs> but it's very much the Jerry Anderson school of writing about the future where the only differences are that like, Technology and fashion are different. That's it. There's no like, and there's like vague allusions made to uh, like there's one world government. But that's it. Like the, the way that people speak, it's still as if you grew up in the fifties. Oh, oh dear. Oh no. Oh my gosh. Oh, terribly sorry. It's 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 a te- it's absolutely awful. The the main character in it, the captain of the spaceship, who's a Norwe- who's Norwegian in the novel, and I've also Life Force would have been made much better if every line from the main character Carlson, Carlson was delivered with a ropey Norwegian accent. <laughs> um, the he. He, when he he almost he doesn't get seduced by the sexy space vampire when they bring her to Earth because he is too much of a gentleman. That's what happens in a novel. Like, it's, and there's loads about so like he felt very much like he was horny for her, but his gentlemanly training <laughs> was so powerful that he resisted. It's it's, and it's also there's just like these terrible moments where you can tell like Colin Wilson thinks he's being a realist author, where things all happen with like like. Oh, I need to speak to the prime. He's like ringing up the prime minister's office. I need to speak to the prime minister. Yes, I'll oh. hold. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but no, the secretary will say, 
Oh, I'm afraid he's away from his office right now. <laughs> Would you like to wait five minutes? Oh, yes, certainly. <laughs> oh, actually, he's just coming back through the door. I'll put you through right now. Ah, oh, excellent. Prime Minister, I had to speak to you about the space. It's all of this, like, pointless little delays of things happening. Well, isn't that what real life is like? But it's a novel. Oh, it's a novel, the space vampires. Yeah. Um, but it's also, like, the point where I did just give up was when, uh, when because it's just so convoluted. And, there, and it's like... Because he's doing the same thing like he did with the Philosopher's Stone, where he wanted to make, like, oh, this is a place for me to explore my ideas. But his ideas are awful. He had, because, like, the reason the film's called Life Force is because it, oh, it's about either the vampires or actually vampires of life energy or, or real or organ yeah. or whatever. Well, yeah. But and in the novel, there is. A, in life Force. And what but there's a when he goes to when Carlson goes to see Doctor Fala I think so Doctor Falada. Falada. He was meant to be played by Christopher Lee, and you could tell they wrote it with Christopher oh, Lee in mind, God. but they did not yeah. get Christopher Lee. Nor would Christopher Lee have saved that film. <laughs> Christopher Lee's, I don't know if Christopher Lee's career was even in a good place. <laughs> it's good to know where the line is. To be something like, you know what? This far and no further. <laughs> but when he goes to see Dr. Falada, in the book, when he goes to see Dr. Falada, but what he sees is, is, is several pages of Dr. Falada explaining how life force energy works and like psychic vampirism and the different forms of psychic vampirism, like sort of like, and like there's horny psychic vampirism, there's eating something psychic vampirism, there's like if someone's really boring, they're kind of like taking your energy vampirism. It's, kind of, oh, yeah, it's exactly. loads of shit like this. And it just goes on and on. There's like numbers happen a lot of well as you can see the lambda field of the octopus is currently measuring at 1.75 the moray eel is measuring at 2.9 and if we subtract this why are you explaining this no this isn't interesting this also is followed by the only reference I got to of like someone him just describing what future world is like he mentions that women wear sea through clothes that show off yeah of course he did yeah Colin Wilson was like he was he was horny in ways that he um sort of didn't I don't know it's like his his horniness was kind of in uh in relief and kind of in negative by you know by negative that we 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 think he he thinks he's writing about kind of sexuality from an outsider perspective or from a, like a dryly academic one but he was projecting so much of his weird kinks and like Okay, so there is a scene which I um, I had the subtitles on Netflix, so I just literally screen grabbed every line of oh my this God. scene. The one where okay, should I just... I'm just wondering if if oh, so the cro- okay. Um, so actually, wait, no. So the when the one thing we didn't mention actually, which I've got down in my notes, is the fact that like the um, the 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 lady vampire when she's waking up, her crotch appears to glow. I don't know what I missed that one. Yeah. Also, yeah, there's like, um, I'm just looking at my notes now, like, uh, two men, nude, also a woman. That's what the astronaut said. (laughs) Um, but wait, Also, a woman. Yeah, it feels like, no, this was, okay, so a couple of things. Have you, we will get back to the film, but like, a couple of things immediately spring to mind, which I don't want to kind of like, let go at this moment, but have you guys ever seen, there was a film that is kind of weirdly like a kind of dry run of Alien. But very much in the aesthetic and script writing and then directorial tradition of the Hammer Horror films, 
called, I think it's like, it might even be Italian, it's called Planet of the Vampires. It's surprisingly good for the time it came out. And it's about kind of, yeah, people finding kind of, essentially this, but it was forgivable because it was in the 1960s and many of its kind of flaws, it, despite being like a trash 60s kind of like schlocky film, it attained a greater degree of subtlety and genuine menace than Life Force did. Whereas, yeah, Life Force is, it is like a 1960s film. I think it's almost deliberate that he was, that Toby Hooper, who directed this, Toby Hooper directed yeah. this. Um, Toby Hooper, is he a hack? Yes, he is. Yeah. He, like, he did one good film. He did one good film and then the rest he's done. Let's see, it's not yeah. that dissimilar to Colin Wilson, really, like enormous success of the first thing. But just never got back to that. They just never, or like, was always kind of a bit meh, but like, got lucky with one thing and the same thing. So I many, mean, but that's true of so many kind of like cults, directors, and writers and things. But not Richard Stanley, who was genuinely great. Richard Stanley is genuinely great. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Putting that out there. Yeah. I mean, Dust Devil was, was good. You know, that was, that was, that was reproducible. Anyway. Anyway. So anyway it's not anyway, just anyway, good, anyway. but good enough. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, we were talking about like oh yeah, the masochism, the math. Okay, oh yes, so, yes, the okay, best bit of the so film. The best bit. Oh, oh, I hate this bit of the film. Um, so let's just find. Oh, so can we mention that Patrick Stewart's in this? And it probably, I probably has the best thing in it. Okay, he's I'm not very good. Yeah, um, we can play the wait. clip of it like, at this point. Yeah, yeah. But read it out for, okay. our, for our edification. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just kind of. <laughs> just want to draw your attention. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I am the feminine in your mind, Carlson, <laughs> says Patrick Stewart. Okay, but um, no, let's dial it back a bit and get back on plot to yeah. contextualise that line. So, so when they, yeah. when when she, when she escapes the the the, alien, the female alien, the two male aliens are blown up with a grenade, and so what? Yeah, so that's a bit of a non sequitur. Yeah, it's, it's just it, like oh, they're immune to bullets, but a grenade will sort yeah. them out. Well, you <laughs> do find out later that actually it was a trick. Yeah, that they they were fine. Uh, oh. it, but also, one of the male vampires is played. Okay, did finish the one of the male vampires is played by Mick Jagger's younger brother. Christopher Jagger. Very silly name. I'm uh, sorry, but like um, Mick Jagger works as a name in a way, but Christopher Jagger doesn't. No, it's true. He doesn't look like a wallet either. Anyway, so, so, <laughs> so, we, yeah. So, so the female vampire escapes, and it turns out that the Amer um oh. It turns out that the Americans... They just lose her for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they lose her for a while. and it, it, There's that cr horrid scene where, like, um, there's, like, an eyewitness account of her, like, killing women in a park, and it's this... Oh, so God, that's that's they've found who are like, so we saw these two birds going <laughs> off into the bushes. Yeah? We walked off, but we went back just in case they was doing something. <laughs> again, like, that's a really nasty thing to just, like, like, really grim, like, awful line to just throw into, like, an otherwise playful sci-fi yeah. rock. <laughs> Also, Which is like again, he's kind of naughty, you know, like yeah, you know, I, I get it. Like, I know, yeah, Colin, Colin Wilson wants to see some, some birds leathering off. Yeah, like, uh, he's not, he's not ashamed to say. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not, but not blokes lezzing off. Yeah. That would be not no, right. That as we, as he's made... driving to fits of existential angst, <laughs> as you know. Um, it's around this point after the, the female vampire escapes that. The captain of the spaceship, which picked the, the aliens up, lands in a uh, lands in an escape pod, and it turns out that yeah, that he couldn't couldn't resist himself, and so he gave her uh, her her energy, and then the, the entire crew died, and then he set fire to the. Um, I know, he, he managed to resist, didn't he? No, he it, doesn't. It, 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 it turns well, out he, uh, he, okay, he lies okay, about okay, it. Yeah, again, you didn't finish the film. <laughs> didn't finish the film. Um, what's it called? Uh, then he gets yeah, and so but he has a weird mental connection with the um, the female vampire. 
And so using his, using his, their, their sort of like visions of where she is, they go, uh, him and Colonel Kane, the SAS man, come ace detective, uh, what's it called, go to an insane asylum where he's getting the readings that she, that she is transferred, transferred okay. bodies. So the, uh, yeah, the, so the, the body, yeah, the woman, the, the vampire, um, inhabits for a while, then leaves, mm. uh, is working as a nurse at the yeah. insane asylum. And then, okay, now we're up to the line. Yeah. Where they kind of they corner her because uh, through his kind of the intuition that the American uh, spaceman has gained yeah. um, from having been briefly kind of warped morphed by a vampire, um, briefly turned on by a vampire, <laughs> then um, and, and and is having like really potent dreams about it. He now he now has this intuition about the vampire physiology and how they operate, and is able to is able to deduce that. Even if um, the vampire has left this woman, uh, she has left some trace of herself in the former host that he can eke out by, by, by the similar, you know, by oper by taking on the same modus operandi as the vampires themselves, which is to drive them to feats of horniness. And in this case, um, what he says is you know, he forces her against a mirror in a very kind of sixties way, and. Um, She's resisting. I'm gonna to have to force her to tell me. Despite appearances, this woman is a masochist. An extreme masochist. She wants me to force the name out of her. She wants me to hurt her. I can see the images in her mind. Do you wanna stay? Otherwise, wait outside! Not at all. I am a natural voyeur. And, um, Are you in there? And and He's... and he does. This works, and he rips her dress off. And and also, also during that scene, the guy who is part of the team, who's like, Colonel I don't, Kane. Colonel Kane. Kane, is just there, and he's like, and the pilot who's gone from being kind of a bit of a inept kind of like uh, you know host character to someone who's suddenly very very assertive because uh, there is no continuity <laughs> in the script is like, you might want to step out of the room for this. <laughs> and the SAS guy is just like. Not at all. I'm a natural voyeur. <laughs> and it's like... Slowly descent, like, slowly sits down and <laughs> says it as well. Yeah, and that bit's kind of horrible because it's like, he's getting in on the scene. Mm. He's, he's, he's participating. You know, he's like, this is effectively a kind of, like, weird team-doming <laughs> scenario uh, that he's, like, you know, he's, like, he's contributing to that. And Colin Wilson, just, just say it. This was... This was porn for you this was like this you were so horny putting this together um and you're projecting so much and however much you want to argue about like oh this is your theory underlying theories of the universe this is actually a asking very you wrote this one-handed basically yeah basically <laughs> and um you're either or both of these men or possibly yeah. women who knows yeah. um yeah <laughs> another brilliant colin wilsonism from earlier in the movie is um, one of the doctors at the when they have the woman, uh, the female vampire under containment. Well, in inverted commas, containment. Um, he gets some of his energy drained, but not all of it. When they're describing how it all happened, he was like, "Well, I was just compelled. It was the most effeminate experience of my life." Oh, wait, no, I screwed up that as well. <laughs> I got the exact line. Okay, so um... tell me again how the girl overpowered you. She. It was the most overwhelmingly feminine presence I've ever encountered. I was drawn to her on a level that 
Was it sexual? Yes, overwhelmingly so. And horrible. Even, even like, while trying to talk about how it's going to be sexual or something, it's done the most, like, cold, stuffy British manner possible, which I don't think really get is that this whole... Makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. It's like... This is the thing. We've gotten onto very what is now very familiar with signal territory, <laughs> minus the fascism. Like erotics. Yeah, because like we, I, I think we discussed briefly in the Hannibal episode. We are more or less entirely a podcast of eroto fascism. <laughs> like all the kind of like ontology and Marx. Well, the Marxist stuff is still there, but it's like secondary to the eroto fascism. <laughs> Bash uh, the fascist. But, but, mm. so, <laughs> smash the fascist. <laughs> <laughs> we are not fascists. <laughs> um. But yeah, so so then they're in the asylum, and then then the American pulls a bit of a sneaky gambit, uh, if you want to elucidate that. But uh, like, uh, when they're, oh, when they're in yeah. the yeah. So what's it called? They're in the asylum, and they found out that from the woman's mind that the um, the the female vampire is going to transfer into a into a serial killer's body, and so they get the head of the asylum, who's played by an oddly sultry uh, Patrick Stewart. Not uh, I mean, just <laughs> a sultry. He, Patrick Stewart. He, you know, he, he has it cranked up much oh, yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of like raised eyebrows and like I'm not sure if this is written in the script or he's just really having fun with it. But he's really having fun with it. Um, and so and then at the last second when they're about to, what's it called? Um, use a sort of a combination of pentothal and morphine that apparently they use quite often in the in, in the um, in the in the asylum just yeah, to get people wild. to talk. Yeah. Um, what's it called? And then he'd say he just suddenly jams it into what's it called? Um, Patrick Stewart's neck because yeah. secretly, cause, yeah, because yeah, Patrick Stewart touched him and he apparently can now read anyone's mind if they touch him. Don't, doesn't Coop do that in like Twin Peaks? Uh, spoilers! Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Zyphos Force is one of the primary influences of Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, and then we have the uh, the scene where. Um, where we have the kind of the, the psychic vampire speaks through the body of um, of Patrick Stewart, of the <laughs> Doctor, which involves the light. So then we get basically Patrick Stewart speaking with a kind of weirdly synced up male and female voice, saying, with "I am I am the feminine in your mind." <laughs> Like, I just thought it was a very dark corner of my psyche being played out for yeah. all to see the audience in 1985. Yeah, okay, so <laughs> that is where I'm up to in the film. Uh, so I'm just going to, like, I think after this point, I'm just going to let... This is all going to be new information to Yeah, me. so what happened... But, like, no, yeah, I, I just... I, there's one thing I wanted to flag up in this film. So I've already said I think it's bad. <laughs> I don't think that's a controversial opinion. Mm. I think... I think everything... Almost everything in it was um, staggeringly inept. But... I will say, like, you know when you get a film where clearly someone involved knew what they were doing, or at least knew what they were doing but had, like, a kind of secondary role so they could at least fulfil their job extremely well, and then everyone else just sucks around them, so you see, like, little glimmers of actually quite interesting stuff, or, you know, quite beautiful stuff coming out of an otherwise complete shit heap of a film... Case in point, the MeUndies guy in the room. Like, he, he knew exactly what kind of film he was in. And he played that part magnificently. Um, but, no, in this case, whoever was involved, whoever was in charge of cinematography fucking nailed it. Like, beautiful, beautiful job. Like, I've just... I, I screen-grabbed multiple um, just scenes of just, like, really, really nicely composed shots. Like, the bit where the female vampire is escaping from the laboratory and she's walking through a kind of like 
slow lit um, kind of glass room. That that's beautiful. Um, the bits where um, and there's actually and also the bit where they find the crashed space pod. Mm. They just have this really really striking scene. I've got got a screen grab there, which is going to be completely meaningless to the things. But isn't you know that's a compelling image, like a bunch of men with torches running through the rain in the dark in their heavy kind yeah. of foul weather gear. Mm. That's you know that's that's a very tense moment in a better film that would be like oh, that would be the moment where you hit where it hit you and it's like yeah I'm watching a very good film. I also will say I genuinely just really like the theme tune the overture for the theme tune. I, I think it's actually a really jolly stirring bit of music. It feels out of place. It feels like it. Well, again, it feels like a big kind of the soundtrack feels like something out of like a big swords and sandals epic. Yes, inexplicably <laughs> in a weird horny sci-fi town. About space. They already made it. They were just like, we're going to use it. Like, <laughs> I don't think it was used in the theatrical cut. I, oh, think, really? I, think, I think they did use something what else. Was this the director's was... vision? Like, <laughs> so I think, <laughs> actually, yeah. I quite like this. It's like, flatline. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, post, I'll post that so people know what the fuck yeah. I'm on about. But the bit I was going to say was one of the other things I would flag up as a good shot is when... Uh, and this is almost like... This feels very Ken Russell, this scene, when the American is going into the mind of, like, um, trying to track down where the, the nurse person mm. has gone. It go, it's it got a very nice kind of, like, she's wandering through a big open field, and they've got an almost, like, fisheye lens thing going on. Yes, yeah. we, we picked really up on that. Nice, because it's, like, it's, like, a weird psychic view, very subtly, but very potently demonstrated through um, slightly kind of off-kilter camera stuff, and I think that's really nice, but... One of one of the things I would I wanted to bring in at this point as well is it's when they're talking about psychic vampires that they bring in a very overt Nosferatu reference, which is um, so it's during this bit where he's like tracking her that they recreate um, the the scene where is it Mina or you know the names vary in different versions of different releases of the film, but the Mina Harker character is sitting on a beach on a it's a kind of graveyard by the sea. She's sitting on a bench looking miserable, waiting for Jonathan to come home. They recreate that bit with the lady sitting on a park bench waiting for a horny man, or a man to come along who she can drain of energy, a healthy buxom man to, to kind of, to feed off of. A good man. And, and, yeah, and that's kind of, you know, that's like, that's, that's interesting. One, because it's like, okay, you're bringing in Nosferatu, you're making a shout out to a, to a, classic vampire film but also as we discussed in our Nosferatu episode over a year ago at this point Jesus Christ um, there is a very very interesting kind of there is a psychic element to the uh, vampire depictions in Nosferatu which isn't which is kind of understated but is definitely there and is kind of very much in the same occult vein as Figures like Kenneth Grant and even figures like Colin Wilson would later pick up on and articulate in more detail. And obviously that is coming from a Crowleyan tradition via the uh, Fraternitas Satanae. But just uh, the fact that it's like talking about like bilocation and, and psychical visioning and what's effectively a kind of Gansfield test type thing happening here. Um, it's just very good. It's good that they would, make, they would choose that moment to make the Nosferatu shout out. And also then... Two, two more things. So, obviously, the insane asylum going there, that's a Ren... You know, they're, they're finding their Ren field. It's just gender-flips Dracula. Yeah, you know, yeah she's, basically. She's got, like, beautiful male brides that don't really say anything and just wander around naked, you know. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, oh, God, yeah. 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 They Because uh, they contribute nothing, much yeah. like the kind of, like, spooky women in the... In yeah. Castle Dracula and the thing. Mm. But, 
The other thing is that the nurse is called Ellen. And I believe in one of the... I think it was, like, during the kind of, like, avoid trying to... Unsuccessfully trying to avoid copyright Nosferatu um, release, uh, the Minahara... In some versions with the intertitles, the Minahaka character is called Ellen. So, there you go. That's why, that's presumably why they called her Ellen. So, like, someone wanted to do a bit of a thing, and in and of itself, that thing was very, very good. So, tell me about the rest of this film, Life Force. I've not seen it. I mean, I thought the second half was definitely stronger than the, Shit, the first okay. half. Like, but I mean, it's, well, a, it's a question of degrees. It's here. not good. It's yeah. more, it is yeah. more entertaining. More stuff happens. It gets a bit more propulsion. Basically, it, it turns out that the female vampire... Um, lured them out to the um, out of London so that she could like have a wicked way with London. And by the time they come back, London's having a full-on zombie apocalypse. Oh, what? Vampire okay. zombie apocalypse? Yes. Oh, shit. Can we watch it after we're done? <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turn it back on. Turns out the movie's really good. We really <laughs> like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> but when it hits him, why? Yeah, uh, so, like, yeah. So, zombie vamp... So, space zombie vampire hordes are swarming London. Um, Actually, no, this sounds like the ending of Demons, if you've ever seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. yeah. Dario Barber, but it was produced or like no, presented by Dario Argento. <laughs> it's a good film. It is like, a good film. They do just demons. go like, oh, what's a fair film in this? Um, <laughs> okay, we need to do demons, but we need to do that as like a Max. You want to come on for demons? I'll come on for demons. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, and like the um, the Christopher Lee characters figured out that you can kill the vampires by by penetrating beneath them two inches beneath the heart, which according to Wikipedia is a reference to the heart chakra, which is located beneath the heart in, uh, in, uh, in, um, uh, Colin Wilson read another book. <laughs> yeah. And so, the, so he has this just great big, like, fuck off vampire slaying sword. Yeah, where does he get that? Because I saw that It just turns up in a box. box. It's, what's a bit odd is that Dr. Lambda immediately, and I mean, like, straight out goes, like, oh, they're aliens who drain vampires, uh, who, who drain energy, like, clearly they're vampires. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, obviously. Like, oh, like, and, like the bat thing. Yeah, like, yeah. they turn into a bat. bat. <laughs> of course. So he then gets authentic vampire hunting weaponry shipped shipped to him from, like, uh, some museum somewhere. He would have got some fucking nasty fake shit. Yeah. Like, 1880s. <laughs> but it's all apparently they've got to be grounded in metal. But it comes, it comes out that he's, like, every time the Hades comic comes around, the ship will fly out and, ali- and vampires will fly down and they'll have... And they'll feed upon the earth, That's which is why it's happened multiple times. Uh, yeah, and it never gets. Rec- and this this causes London to be destroyed is utterly. Just embarrassed because they like they they were driven to fucking. Yeah, so they no one wrote it down. Everyone just like pulled their trousers up and forgot about yeah, it. To be fair, like the spaceship when they like it is like a derelict. I feel like the implication is that like it has happened loads of times before, but not for a long yeah. time because the spaceship was damaged somehow. They kind of all been in suspended animation. To be fair, I think that's what's meant. To be the case. Okay, there. all is forgiven, Colin. Uh, so yeah, and like, so he kills one of the um, sexy male vampires, and then. Oh, so, but but before, before that. Uh... Oh, we don't see. There's yeah. loads of like the most. Oh yeah. Oh, you're right. Then. There's loads of bits that are described to us, which sound quite interesting that we don't get to see, presumably for budgetary purposes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, they get, yeah, and they're told that like NATO have like which is something comes along seal off London and say that they've like if they can't contain it in three hours they're nuking the shit out of the place. Contain- that is a containment procedure because NATO know what they're goddamn doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
so funny. <laughs> but, like Coulson like figures out like wait a minute, if I can get to her and like get and like deal with her, then I can like stop this because for reasons. Yeah. And so he goes off into London. Well, they get they go and see the prime minister first. Well, they go and see the prime minister. Oh, yes, prime yeah. minister. <laughs> <laughs> and it is prime. Like it's actually that's actually happened generally a really fun bit. They, <laughs> they land at Whitehall. They go into like the cabinet war rooms, and the prime minister's obviously been affected. And like, obviously, about- ridiculously oh, obvious. Oh, 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 oh. Yes, yes. Sweating. Like, my secretary for a second. But <laughs> leaves the door open like. Do you think there's something wrong with the prime minister? And I just like, just like peek through, just see like shadows of him, like like Dre's. Like, oh, okay, yeah, there we go. And then this is brilliant moment of unintentional comedy with that wonderful like triumphant swelling beam tune you that is playing as they just scurry back to the helicopter. They just walk out. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, yeah. And, like, and so like so Carlson like sneaks off on his own to go into the city to try to go to St Paul's Cathedral, and, which is not as good a cathedral as Westminster Cathedral. In oh, my right. opinion, was very vocal about this last night. <laughs> uh, and oh, like, and, and Colonel Kane like goes after him. Well, I and, mean, no, because like Westminster St Paul's is just a, a fucking stinking monolith of imperialism. Yes, it is. Well, Westminster Cathedral, which is free to get into, by the way, is a lovely Victorian Neo-Byzantine cathedral that was built after the restoration of the Catholic Wait, hierarchy. Wasn't that the one that, like, um, some like BMP propaganda described it as the biggest mosque in Britain? No, but did they? Yeah. That sounds like the MP problem. Yeah. Uh, I remember when the EDL marched in Brighton many years ago. Probably about 10 years ago. Do you remember the EDL? Do you remember how we thought that was the worst thing that could happen? Oh, it was quite bad. It was pretty bad. I just get the EDL and Morrissey confused in my head these days. (laughs) (laughs) When they marched in Brighton, like there was some screen grabs going around Mm -hmm. of of, like the EDL Facebook page. Like they saw Brighton Revisited. like, holy shit, this is the biggest fucking mosque I've ever seen. Brighton Revisited. Movie was it so, oh, oh, the oh. Brighton Pavilion? <laughs> oh right! <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, that is that's an interesting read on the movie. Brighton Pavilion. <laughs> 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 oh dear, oh dear. Um, so yeah, they get back to the film. They go to St Paul's Cathedral, and like he kills the uh, Carlson kills the male the, the male vampire Kramer Christopher Jackson no, um, inside the building. Captain, Captain, Captain. Captain. Well, Colonel Kane does Captain. it. Colonel Kane's a straight badass. He has no idea where the vampire is. He just drives into London. And random. Also, the, the, the zombie apocalypse is happening, and they both drive well under the speed limit. And so the zombies like kind of like bang on the windows, and he just looks mildly irritated. Like, does the equivalent of putting the wipers on? And just like slowly, and the zombies no zombie thing to stand in front of the car, and so as a result, like he just easily drives to the cathedral like uninterrupted. <laughs> we also figured out that like there's a bit where you see the zombie like the zom- zombie space vampire people are like smashing a pub called the mitre which we figured out we've both beaten to. Wait shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wait a minute we've been there. Yeah. Oh that's familiar. That's, that's oh my god we should we should go there now and take a picture of ourselves. <laughs> it's the most English you know because one people are obeying traffic laws for, for like there's English zombie apocalypse but two you see people you know while it's happening they're just running onto the tube, like yeah, that. That was a, like not, <laughs> not yeah. being sure what to do. Like, oh like, shit! Turn on Radio Four. That'll tell us what we Book it to Chancery Lane Station, <laughs> and that goes nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, <laughs> there's also a great line. Yeah, because you can't get into like you know the driver's cabin is just completely isolated, and the driver is himself a kind of like 
neurally connected to the thing. There is no possible, conceivable way you will keep a tube driver from his tube. <laughs> it will, you know, it just doesn't happen. That's, you know, that's like trying to, it's trying to stop the sun. <laughs> All right, Neil deGrasse. <laughs> tube, sir. <laughs> but, oh, I feel you misjudged my joke. My bit. Uh, I just thought of it while you were talking. Yeah. What is the okay. deal with tube drivers? So the basic, but when he, when Colonel, what's it called, Colonel Kane catches up to to what's it called, uh, Carson. He's already got in to fight the uh, what well, to do to do something to the, uh, the female clear. vampire. He doesn't clear what the plan yeah. is. Yeah, so. but he so he gets stopped by yeah the the, the male vampire steps in front of him. And goes and say and and so he pulls back and the male vampire says in an inhumanly deep voice, "It'll be a lot less uh, traumatic if you just come." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, feel, I think it's an actually... title for the film and this episode. <laughs> I think it's very significant to point out that no one has sex in this film. No, There's no it just doesn't have... occur to me. But so, like, what is kind of like at least in theory, like an, an erotic space vampire film. It's very sexless. This, like, is, what, this is what people who hate sex. Yeah, so when they get like... Cut the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the episode. <laughs> and still keep the title of, you know, what's it called? <laughs> so they go into the... So he goes into Colonel Kane, he kills the sexy... He kills the fascist sex so Colonel Kane, he kills the sexy male vampire uh, who turns into one of the bat things. Which that is, that, again, I was so like, that's quite thing, fun. So, because the bat, the bat thing earlier is presented as like, oh no, it's a complete, like, irrelevance. No, the, but the bat's bat. what they really this look just, like. This is just what, like, a very horny bat alien thought we should look like. As, yeah. like, as the, um... It's implied as the ship's flying to... As the spaceship is flying towards the, uh, the Hades Comet, they're not dead in the spaceship and they're able to read Carlson's mind. And so they're able to steal the, the, the language out of him and change their forms to fit all of their deepest, deepest fantasies. And so the female vampire is Carlson's ideal woman, like, what's it mm. called? Which doesn't really explain why everyone else is also, like, you know, really very slowly leaning, yeah, but like... Yeah, actually, wouldn't the guys just be, like, kind of, like, mates you could hang out with? Yeah. Who just happen to be nude, but it's not weird. Yeah, yeah, like, you know... Why are more people like that? <laughs> like, uh, but, um... The ideal woman and the ideal yeah. male bestie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the yeah. fucking, like, this is the ideal woman and these are your two, your like, obli- your obliging wingmen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a thing I actually flagged up in my notes. It's like, what... What is the deal <laughs> with... with I mean, like, a better yeah, film, like, a better film would have, like... Like women going after the sexy male vampires and dudes going after the sexy male vampires. female vampire. I do think that the male thing is just a straight Dracula reference. Like uh, that, that's the only thing that really makes sense as like the Dracula's brides kind of thing. So she, yeah, like, that's the only thing that makes sense because otherwise. But then again, you also never they, like she's naked from every angle, and they are never seen to be hanging dong. So maybe it's just like what's they call it? I think you get like a, a long distance dong. Shot long point, distance but... dong. Let's <laughs> go check what we're on time with. <laughs> this is this is great radio. Wait. Okay, okay yeah, we're at an hour and twenty-seven minutes. How, how much longer is this? I think we're, we're coming to the the, also, the very disappointing climax. Bit, I feel that this has become the episode in and of itself. Usually the synopsis is like five minutes. Um, I just... I don't think very... have, like, wait, should we just have a brief interlude where we talk about like how badly um, Colin Wilson got Lovecraft wrong? 
Should we do yes. I think yeah. we need to cool it off a bit. Yes, um, let's do that. Okay, so, basically, so my introduction... We're basically edging the movie. Fucking... Okay. I'll just... Uh... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, so um, my introduction to Colin Wilson was at the tender age of 22. I think I just finished my master's degree. I was very, very tired. I'd... Sounds like you were in a support group. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a support group for people who've read Colin Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll uh, say that, sorry, we're just also we're recording this on uh, October 19th, and it's sort of like, so I guess we just roll in Brexit updates, which will be completely irrelevant by the time this episode oh, comes out. Oh shit, yeah, up. because technically we're... Okay, it's like, wait, no, when you're hearing this, <laughs> when you hear this, because we're dropping this on Halloween, we will either not be in the European Union... Or we will be in the European Union. It's trading as Brexit it, right now. Yeah, in any case, in any case, things are going to be really shit, and I'm going to be out of the country, and I don't care. So I might just. Um, I've actually given up caring. That's wise. Wise. I mean, it's not wise because apathy is the devil's plaything. Yeah. <laughs> I like you couldn't be bothered apathy. to say it though. Like apathy is the devil's. <laughs> the latest update is about uh, the DUP votes for Brexit delay proposal. So I don't that's know. like not horny enough to feature on the cut. Um, I think it. Uh, yeah, no. It's, yeah. Okay. What's about deliberating the really horny? Time? No, no, don't do that. Raging semi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I Raging think semi for the DUP. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I believe that's their manifesto. One thing the DUP have never experienced. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah. So my introduction to HQ. Colin Wilson was via a novel called, as we mentioned earlier, The Philosopher's Stone, which had that wonderfully stupid introduction where he talks about some bullshit and featured that gloriously shit quote. But what you're the okay. you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> sorry, I was just distracted. I'm sorry, I'm, um, I'm getting out this horrible rice wine. Oh yeah, shit. Sure, of course, cool. I, I thought for a second like ah, <laughs> Max is reaching for the whiskey, but because I thought it was a big no, 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 I'm afraid we not. We established that it's it's it's, it's, it's basically undrinkable. Wine. But should I'm... we drink? Should we br- rinse out our glasses? Yeah, yeah. At some point, we will hear about your introduction to Colin Wilson. Okay. Colin the Axe Wilson, as I believe they call it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I'm sticking with Colin that Bloody was what Wilson. The, the nutters in the park used to call him. Jesus Christ. Like, that's a thing, actually, because. Sorry, I apologise what's about to happen. Weird kind of eroticism and things. We've talked, you know, one of our first episodes was about shivers and the weird kind of. Like, strange kind of psychosocial stuff affecting society at large in a way that uh, Wilhelm Reich warned us of. Um, Colin Wilson, the world Colin Wilson envisaged was in every sense the embodiment of that, but he just didn't fucking realise. <laughs> and and he was working even after the fact, even after that shit had, been, had come out. It just he was, he was a bad writer. But anyway, one of the things that um, comes up in the, um, the introduction to Colin Wilson's uh, novel, The Philosopher's Stone, which I lent to Sean for about the period of five years, and then you didn't read it. No, I eventually. I you read... eventually read it, but it's like um, basically okay. The thing with the thing with the Philosopher's Stone is he was challenged by. Is actually a bit of an interesting uh, background to that. Um, the in that uh, he. I think he had some sort of interaction with August Derleth. Yeah, he, he said dissed he, August, uh, he, he dissed H.P. Lovecraft and told August <laughs> Derleth that's a, I bet I can write Lovecraft better than Lovecraft. That's why he wrote Space Vampires, isn't it? 
actually, this is the mind parasite. So what happens? He says, sorry, he said to Augusta. I think I've got the quote. So let's get yeah, yeah. Yeah. read the bit. I'll just read the bit. Yeah. Read the bit. Okay, wait, no, I think we've got to start here. I must explain how this came about. I don't think he speaks like this. No, where was he from? Jamaica. <laughs> Thick patois the whole time. No, <laughs> from Hampshire? Okay, yeah, that makes so, more sense. Uh, don't do it. Don't do an accent. No, what even is a Hampshire accent? I don't know. I, I don't know. Just um, I must explain how this came about. In 1961, I wrote a book with the strength to dream, a <laughs> <laughs> study of the creative imagination, particularly in writers of fantasy and horror stories. A large <coughs> part of the book was inevitably devoted to the work of H.P. Lovecraft, the recluse of Providence. We've debunked that earlier on podcast. <laughs> Rhode Island who died of malnutrition and cancer of the intestine in 1937 were a weird way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I pointed out that although Lovecraft possesses a gloomy and imaginative power that compa- compares with Poe, he is basically an atrocious writer. We, can s- we haven't debunked that. <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, we've, writers, we've uh, counted and justified that. <laughs> Contextualised. <laughs> Most of his work was written for Weird Tales, a pulp magazine, and his work is finally interesting as case history rather than as literature. Case Mo- history? <laughs> Both. Yes. <laughs> Both and less. <laughs> um, in due course, a copy of my book fell into the hands of Lovecraft's old friend and public... He writes this really weird. He's got a lot of like kind of like hyphenated asides that don't need old, to be old aside. friend and cats with the intestines. <laughs> <laughs> old friend and publisher August Derleth. And Derleth wrote to me protesting that my judgment on Lovecraft was too harsh. Which we weren't. Uh, but and asking me why, if I was all that good. I didn't try writing a Lovecraft novel myself. And the answer to this question is that I never write purely for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything, I, everything I write has a meaning, even if that meaning is a simple one. Like, never en- genetically engineer a crab to the same size as a person. I write as a mathematician uses sheets of paper for doing calculations because I think better that way. And Lovecraft's novels are not about ideas, but about an emotion. An emotion of violent and total rejection of our civilization, which I being rather cheerful by temperament, do not happen to share. But that's only one of him. The other one's, like, really downbeat. So, so basically, he thought he could do Lovecraft better. And then uh, the novel, um, the novel, The Philosopher's Stone, plays out where he actually starts it off by an interest, as an interesting kind of Lovecraftian novel, where it's basically, it's basically the glass bead game, but... Well, I, I, have I, have I actually... Ex- explored my, you know, I will do a bigger explainer about this, but the Herman Hesse's The Glass Bead Game is a sports anime, in that it's just, it, it reads as a sports anime. Right, okay, I mean, I was a bit yeah. like, I'm misjudging Herman Hesse's time period slightly. <laughs> okay, no, but, <laughs> but it's just about kind of becoming the very best and like gaining <laughs> like no one greater ever levels of acumen and mental acuity. from the top bead buster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's alternate titles. <laughs> That's what our adaptation is going to be called. Of God. Yeah, excellent. Uh, but yeah, and so basically, it starts up interesting because he's like trying to draw philosophical ideas into exploring Lovecraft, as many people post facto, including our like our guiding light on this podcast, Mark Fisher did. You know, Mark Fisher gave that wonderful statement, which I can't disagree with. That it's like um, Lovecraft is Lovecraft is going to be. 
the, the philosopher's short story writer in the same way Proust was, or is, uh, in a couple of short decades. Uh, and it's kind of like, yeah, you get the, basically, Lovecraft is a very good, but Lovecraft's brand of cosmic horror is just a very, very good uh, model for bringing in ideas, and Lovecraft knew that, you know, bringing in kind of like ideas or difficult questions, and Lovecraft knew this because he was a good writer, even if he was a little verbose at times. But Colin um, Wilson starts off pretty strong, <laughs> kind of um, building up in a very, very dry way, talking his... Okay, so the plot of... Um, the This is going to be like a kind of like... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Incunabula? Little Laguma? No, it's a... Nah. What are you saying? Speaking tongues. Okay, so like a bit within a bit, a kind of... Uh, a thing with a, a story within a story, a little incunabula. Some there's a Latin term, but it's anyway, that. It's that. Yeah, it's okay. it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so basically, do you smell toast, Lizzie? Fucking no. There is a word for like. I've forgotten it. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. So like, that, we're getting too matter. But basically, like the novel of uh, the Philosopher's Stone is that. A guy gets very, very clever and tries to discover secrets of the universe. And this actually reflects back on Colin, you know, bringing you back to Colin Wilson and his work and his like his weird philosophy. Uh, this is what I was talking about with his his kind of ambiguity between existential philosophy and really fucking hack science. <laughs> in the um, it's basically about exploring those intense existential questions of the universe and the and the nature of consciousness and its relationship to matter. By his weird speculation that if, like, brains are just too wet, and so if you drain the fluid from the brain, you can think a lot more clearly and just sort of, you know, pull stuff from the universe, and it all kind of, like, forms this perfect kind of Hannibal-esque memory castle in your mind, and you have, like, a functioning universe in your head that you can just draw all information from and become, nay, godlike, or at least some little vestige of godliness. And so, um, and god godly acumen and stuff, and so it's about a guy who performs, like, a rudimentary trepanation on himself to become a, like, brain genius. <laughs> and, um, and then, like, discovers the nature of the gods. So I just turn your enthusiasm in your head to mine. Yeah, I'm going to trepanate myself so I can become a brain genius. Like, okay, and uh -huh. also, um, and also, you know, and this leads him to the discovery of the old ones and the kind of Lovecraftian mythos. But he basically... Um. Fucks up. Oh, yeah, there's someone cleaning the window. Oh, right. And that's, <laughs> and something is incur an incursion from the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's this, like, tentacle thing just probing out the window as we speak. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking the end of Dagon. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is horrifying. Yeah. Stop <laughs> saying mean things about life falsely. <laughs> Colin Wilson is a god. It's <laughs> <laughs> really disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite hypnotic. Okay. A quick side question, Lucy. Is the tagline of the glass bead game, if you die in the glass bead game, you die in real life? Because it should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that, that was so distracting. That was, why was that so distracting? It was just, it was just like cleaning apparatus. <laughs> okay. Okay. Okay, we're back, we're back, we're back. We're back on the road. All right. Jesus Christ, do you have any cigarettes? <laughs>
No, I don't. I was going to ask you the same thing. Okay, damn it. Um, <laughs> you got cigars, though. I do have cigars. Oh, I hate cigars. Oh. But wait, we could we smoke them inside and we turn the oven thing on? Oh my god, we're gonna have it again, isn't it? We we could sweat them inside, yeah. Excellent. Do you you want a cigar? Uh, Yeah. It's like smoking ten cigarettes at once. Um, These are fancy Cuban ones I just randomly found that I had. Should we do? Should we share one? Because I feel like yeah, yeah, no, no, start one, give up and waste it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're gonna do that anyway between the two of us. But yeah. Okay. Uh, Three, three of us. Yeah, yeah. Sean actually enjoys cigars. I did not know. I won't smoke a full one because I will feel very. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I didn't want to split between the two. Okay. What the fuck? Where was I up to? So basically, he uses this intense mental acumen to find the nature of the old ones of the universe, and it. Um, and basically, his whole thing with um, Lovecraft is taking Lovecraft's stuff and completely fucking ruining it by missing the point of Lovecraft, which is that there is a kind of inexplicability, the nature of the weird, the numinal realms and stuff. His entire thing is that, like, oh yeah, you can just, like, find this shit out and then it stops being numina. And that, that's where we get up to. That is, Colin, that is the summary of Colin Wilson's philosophy. It's like, nah, Cat was wrong. Prick, really, and and yeah, and then that's it. And also, um, just in the context of this, um, I think it's it's just worth pointing out that he manages to use his theories about um, about this weird brain draining access, like making least, giving yourself yeah. a super brain theory to just theory make a, a really nice. weird <laughs> kind of like misogynist interlude where they they do a thing where they perform. Um, they perform the brain exercise, they perform the brain thing on um, a woman because it's been no. too mad. It's <laughs> at this point. And it's like, this woman is kind of like, um, it's really dry. kind of at the peak mm-hmm. of, um, of woman intelligence because she's like, she's a writer of short stories and, you know, that's kind of and, and you know, popular fiction and stuff, which is about, which is about where they get up to. And, um, and, you know, and then they perform the thing on her and she's like, okay, yeah, I can see all this, like, universe and stuff and these intense truths but I just want to go back I don't really care that much I just want to go shopping and drink white wine at a party and then that's what she does and then that's it it's like okay there are no more women in the story from this point onwards and it's just so as well as a very very intense homophobia there is just a raging misogyny going throughout um, Colin Wilson's writing that even even when women are able to channel the kind of the existential um insight that he claims to be able to or is at least seeking after they don't care they don't want it uh, and um and probably a homosexual wouldn't care either so, i mean uh, yeah but anyway back to the space vampire you know that that's that's just my two cents about colin wilson i didn't do very much research for this no i mean i did i did i didn't know who colin wilson was before this so you're ahead of me but i did watch the whole film <laughs> that, that's my the only well, thing i really got bit, going yeah, here there's <laughs> been a bit of a lull in the podcast because we're all just fascinated by sean like Neither I don't know how a cigar is lit. Um, I think when I it when seems I it's very different. When I, when I first this is actually like this isn't kept properly. It's very dry. Yeah, something seems to have gone horribly wrong. The last one was fine, but I think I might maybe rip the bag they were in slightly, and so now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have bits. I, I have bits of like I think tobacco. This, I think this is not going to work. Okay. Um... I apologise, Sean. Okay, should, anyway, we, so, should we just wrap this down? Yeah, maybe, maybe we should. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. there's a bit I want to talk about. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Oh, God. This was a terrible idea. Um, where there's a bit... So this is the point where I just gave up with the Philosopher's Stone, where he... The second is actually pretty good. 
Yes, yeah, going really smoothly, isn't it? I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> There's a bit where he like, so like about halfway through the novel, where you go like because he takes a lot of time explaining how the like this mind power is meant to work, and then he just decides that the thing that everybody wants to hear is Colin Wilson's theories about who wrote Shakespeare and why it wasn't Shakespeare. Oh, it was Colin so you get a lot. <laughs> You get a lot of stuff here of just like him recycling all the like the anti-Stratfordian bullshit. And it just becomes so obvious that like Colin Wilson had like a lot of access to grime because he had some stupid ideas about uh, some stupid conspiratorial ideas about Shakespeare. Because he gets like all like the main character starts complaining about how academics don't even want to debate the the, the Shakespeare question. Like, like, there isn't a Shakespeare <laughs> question. And it just goes on for about 20 pages of just like going through this and stuff. Like, no, no one cares about this. This isn't bullshit. Can I have a blast on that? I've got a point to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you want yeah. to do it like you're, a, you're an island dictator. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I think, I think, this, I think this has been a terrible idea. That's horrible. Yeah. Anyway. Do you, um, want, to, do you want to try? No, that? you don't want, no. <laughs> I think it was wasted to begin with. Yeah. Basically, yeah, like it's too but dry. This is like indicative, profoundly. <laughs> it's just failing to smoke a cigar. It's <laughs> profoundly indicative of what I said earlier. It's just like he's the cranky old man in a shed school of philosophy, mm. in that, like, he's, he's like just the whiz bang inventor of like ideas that people have come already come up with in far more nuanced terms that he thinks he's invented just because he hasn't heard of them. Yeah, there's some very strange moments because like he obviously like he wasn't he wasn't he was a well-read man. He wasn't a he wasn't he was he was uh, I'm not gonna say he, he was, was a stupid man, but he wasn't a stupid man. Yes, <laughs> actually yes. Oh, oh my back. god it's back. <laughs> <laughs> um the yeah, he would just come out with like the, the, there's this bit where quite early on where he starts talking about like Husserl's notion of intentionality, which is like very, like, I don't know if this is like super nerdy, but it's like basically, if I remember my philosophy training correctly, so no, like Husserl just kind of pointed out that Husserl kind of like observed that we that we always are kind of like occupied by something, like there's always like something that our attention is focused on. There's never just like this kind of like empty consciousness. There's always like an awareness of a thing, even that. Uh, which can manifest in those different ways. And Wilson, in this novel, quotes Husserl and then describes the theory of intentionality, claiming that he's come up with this himself, despite just the fact he just quoted the guy who developed it. It's a really weird <laughs> moment. Like, shit. <laughs> and I, and, it, I, I, and I, I just found it such a confusing thing. So, no, this is, this is Husserl's stuff about intention, <laughs> which you are claiming you've invented after having quoted Husserl by name the paragraph before. It just really... Ah. Maybe, like, Husserl was, like, his, like, rap name, you know? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like... I mean, let's talk timescales. Were Husserl and Colin Wilson never seen in the same room? So few people were seeing the same room as Colin Wilson, apart not even yeah. six mistresses were seeing the same room. And again, this is why I think the Garth Marenghi comparison is actually the best one, because there is like this conviction, this absolute conviction of the of like the profundity of the work he's producing, which is just not there. Like it's just it's, <laughs> like the work is basically a bit shit. Like is it, it and it is there's something quite faintly tragic almost about Colin Wilson because he was obviously an intelligent guy with a lot of potential but just it just never went anywhere because he just never 
checked himself. He was just never had enough self-reflection to realise about his ability to realise that he wasn't as good as he thought he was. He could have been. He could have been actually like a very a much more interesting person, but only if he'd become less interesting, if that makes any sense. Um, he, um, yeah, oh man, it's, it's yeah. Because I think the thing about Colin Wilson is kind of like the thing that's most admirable about him is also the, 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 yeah, it's also the source of his downfalls. That Colin Wilson was an autodidact. He was, all of his philosophical and literary training was self-training. It was stuff that he just, he never went to a university. He just learned these things himself. That's really cool. I think that's a really, like, admirable, like, uh, part of his life that he did just he took he just learned these things himself independently of an institution but that's kind of also the problem that the fact that because like one of the th like one of the good good things about institutional education is precisely that it kind of gives you these things in the context of like a greater like framework of awareness about where you are and like where this is happening in like the history of ideas and so it becomes more difficult to take yourself too seriously in that regard and like the caveat to that is you know uh, the education system is <laughs> it's back stop saying mean things about colin wilson <laughs> oh my god the caveat the shadow of it is even more ominous than that <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to let it in? It's like a vampire. Like once you let it in, it never let. What's <laughs> <laughs> upsetting? It's moved so quickly to another window. We should tip that guy. He's doing a stunning job. I said we would just throw a handful of coins at them. This is this is upsetting. This is genuinely a, like a inexplicable thing that we're witnessing. Well, no, oh, it's like I'm someone cleaning the window. It, yeah, I guess, I, I, guess it, I, I guess it's explicable. Yeah, I, I think I just explicated. <laughs> Um, anyway, that was that was a yeah. The first one's gonna be pretty good. Put down the knife, the, the, <laughs> the caveat to all about though is like the education system is class gatekeeping bullshit. But like in when we have socialism, when we get there, um, the like, it will return it won't, to its proper meaning, like it had in the Middle Ages. It won't be like that. It will be. You'll have the it good. You'll have the good. It'll be just about banging nuns. <laughs> <laughs> good old days. But yeah, and I think like you do see with Colin Wilson, it's like he's a really good example of the autodidact's curse in that regard. Like he's because like you, he's like he's clever and he knows he's clever, but he thinks he's. Super special smart boy genius man. And he got published really. He got published really early. And it's like fucking like Yudkowsky or like Moldbug sort of like so not stupid people by any means who did like a lot of their educational work off their own back when it came to learning weird things, but just like then convincing yourself that you are brilliant beyond words because you never yeah. spoke to another person. Also, Moldbug is obviously a piece of shit. I don't and, know what that is. That's the thing. It's like kind of that's why Nick Land is kind of always going to be the more interesting figure of this three because it's like even though they're all very anti-university uh, or anti-kind of like institutional higher education, it's like Nick Land did come from the institution of higher education and like did do... To do it for you've got to have something there to fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that. I mean, that's always been like my policy on drugs. Is like you read the book, then you take the next one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the thing with <laughs> <Shit. laughs> we're really we're really coming at this from two completely different angles. I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's like uh, so. I don't know. I don't. 
Did you read the book oh, right, on mescaline? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe. You you publish you finish your essay, then you do mescaline. That's that's what we all learned. Yeah, you don't you don't know midway through the essay. Sorry, we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah, we're just getting we're just like just having these like this is cigar is... puffing like <laughs> reflections of our of the way we in UEA. Yeah. If only the Spanish Civil War was still going on. If only if only if only Robespierre had done nothing wrong. You get out of my house. Well, hey, this is the rap party. This is like, you know, this is where you see your boss drunk. This is, I'm not saying I'm any. Oh, that's what I say for the, all the listeners. Do you want to just tell people the story about, like, the yeah, Robespierre did nothing people, wrong anecdote? People need to know. Which, which, the, which specific, the, the fact that he is a, a perfect being sent down from heaven? Like, no, Max, you know what I mean. You know the, the thing, the incident. Which specific is it? The wall, the reason you keep getting weird emails. Oh, right, oh, that, yeah. Um, So, as may have become apparent over the last little bit of this conversation, I have a, some would say, unnatural, uh, what's called um, obsession with Maximilian Robespierre from the French Revolution. And then, after a while, my work emails started just getting maybe, like, one or two every three days. Just emails like, did Robespierre do anything wrong? Question mark. And so... It's unnerved me slightly. Sometimes I, entirely in like Chinese, except for the word Robespierre. Yeah, and so like I'd respond, and I generally at the end of it be like, "Anyway, why are you sending this?" And I never got the only response I ever got was, "Oh, weird." And I was like, <laughs> and so finally, this went on for a good maybe two months, and then I like it just went beyond being quite funny to being like, "What is?" Because there were millions of different email like email addresses, you know, like there, there, there was no one from the same person, and like you know. It's not great for your like whole kind of your, your whole work email to be suffused with French revolutionary fanatics, you know. But, well, don't uh, mind me; I'm just playing with matches. Yeah, you'll get burned. There's, uh, there's something very unwholesome <laughs> about what yeah. he's doing. Just watching a match burn down. Carry on. Anyway, so finally, it turned out that a friend of mine had been in Vietnam and had written on the wall of the of the hostel in marker, like what's it called? Email this man about road ask this man if Robespierre did anything wrong and then buy my email address under it and uh, I can only assume it's since been whitewashed off the wall because they have stopped now like uh, <laughs> but like but they stopped all of a piece like uh, but that was a good that was a that was a weird two months Aye. anyway life force how do we yeah I mean what happens in life force so like um, Carlson. Gets on, gets naked, and starts riding around on top of the um, riding around on top yeah, of the. Yeah, they don't have sex. They just kind they of ride. They just ride. They just have a and they have and they have a charged kiss, like literally yeah. charged. Uh, they have a kiss and, and a cuddle. Yeah. It's very wholesome. Yeah, and it, then there's a whole thing about all the souls of everyone who's been eaten by vampires being sucked up into the Dumb. ship. Yeah, <laughs> but the ship is a, the ship is catching everything inside it like an umbrella. Which I don't think yeah. is how umbrellas work, but yeah. <laughs> like, that's, a, that's the opposite that's, that's of That's exactly umbrella. the kind of literary analogy Colin Wilson would yeah. in a also, Like an umbrella, but in reverse. Uh, also, isn't it a fun fact that Colin Wilson didn't like Life Force? He, he, he really hated it. <laughs> yeah. But I think, like, well, it's I think like. He I mean, really hated himself. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's Colin like, Wilson writ large upon the silver screen. I, yeah. I feel, <laughs> I'm going to say that Life Force is definitely. Like, but the reason it's such a terrible film is because you can't adapt that source material and get a good film from it, no matter what you do. Unless. It just completely separates itself from it, becomes some kind of like, su- like I've just really leans in on like the erotic elements. Just you know, we're just going to make but a it exploitation film. And just, it does not. But it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, some some weird person out there has probably found 
you know, life force to be the most erotic experience of their entire life. And I'm glad for that one person. That was, was the awakening for someone. For Colin Wilson. For, for someone who's really <laughs> terrible. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what's called it? Like, right now, yeah. Anyway. Uh, we're, like, we're, we're, we're in please stop me before I kill again territory. With, oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so they're riding around on top of each other, female vampire, and she's basically like, you have a part of me inside you, and you're now a space vampire too, which is why you can do all the things that like that I can do. Um, why don't you come back up with me to the spaceship and we'll, we'll hang out there for 76 years and then we'll come back in another 76 years and, you know, do this all again. That sounds wild. Yeah. That's something I definitely want to do. Yeah, do yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and then, then what's his name? Kate, uh, Sergeant Kane shows up, who is like the, the saviour of London, with the iron vampire stake, and he throws the iron vampire stake at Carlson, who then impales himself and the woman, th- like, in, like, a... Which is, yeah, like a... And then they both float up into the spaceship, tied together, and turn into beings of pure energy. And then it ends. That's really dumb. Yeah, yeah it's terrible. Yeah, it's a dumb okay. film. Apparently in the novel, it turns out that, like, the, like, the, like the space vampires are descended from, like, one of the old ones, the Lovecraftian old ones, and they've kind of, like, degenerated into sort of, like, horrible things, and then they're like, oh, shit, oh. what have we become and blow up? So that, Colin, that... Colin Wilson making Lovecraft boring again. Yeah. yeah. I like, of all the... That's, like, the worst crime of it. Like, it's just really dull. Like, yeah. it's a, it's like it's a novel called The Space Vampires. I mean, that's it shouldn't what... be boring. That's oh, the we film. chose to do this. <laughs> You well, chose to this. I was just thrown into it. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you told me to stop fiddling with. Yeah, the, I should stop playing with. I'm literally with playing with matches and knives. Yeah, um, pray for Sean. <laughs> okay. Um. Do, do you want to wrap this up? We we. Well, that's it. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank this you so much for having me. This has been great. This, this has been, been really fun. Such a good time. Like, um, I was really is... worried about this because I've been like massively like I've not been overworked. I've just been, eh. I, you know, I took a second job, which may have been a mistake. But... <laughs> Actually, it's not a mistake, but it is exhausting. And uh, as and uh, going about things a bit differently, instead of recording drunk, I've recorded hungover. So that's been yeah. interesting. I mean, technically, the last highway episode, we were oh extremely yeah, hungover. Oh no, you and you and Pip were, but I'd actually mm. I I managed to avoid a hangover. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so um, so final, I suppose final we, comments. Yeah, you're not gonna hear from us for a couple of months. Have fun with this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I said, we've got. I'm gonna be uh, doing an interview with someone next. With a month. Very interesting dude. Yes, that's gonna be in neutrals with us. So. Yeah, so that's gonna be exciting. Um, unless he listens to this. And then oh, I get, I get, I I get DM saying, that. so by the way... Uh, Check out your podcast, fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't blame him. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> hi if you're listening, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Um, so yeah, um, I guess, because this is landing on what may or may not be Brexit Day, maybe, uh, which of course is... No, it's Halloween. It's, ha- it's Halloween. I think that's So I would like to, I'd like to say, um, may the souls of the faithful <laughs> departed pray for us. May the souls of the faithful departed pray for us. Colin Wilson, pray for us, and we'll pray for you. Good night and good luck. Good night, good luck. Um, R.I.P. Colin Wilson. Yeah. Thank you for. It's like, it's, 2013 is not too soon. 
It's not too soon. It's not too soon. No, 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 I think we've been fair. We've been fair. Yeah, no, um, we've been very fair on Columbus, and we've said he's interesting. We've um, we've explained his faults in a way that excuses him of his crime. Excellent. So then, um, thank you, listener, for being li- listener. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it's me. Thanks, Mom. Um, so, okay, thank you for being with us for season two, I guess, of Weird Signal for twenty. When did season one end? I'm going to say it ended. Um, what was the last episode? What was the last episode of 2018? Halloween that we did like a whole bunch. But I don't think seasons work like that. I don't know. I think we kind of like. What about the season of the witch? Well, because we had phases. Yeah. <laughs> what, was had... The, what was the last episode of 2018? The last episode of 2018 was like, it was like a Liam Mice interview. That was the one. Where I we mean, did, like, just like full episode. That was when. Mm, well, that would have been. Was What's that Halloween actually? What's that Ghost Watch? I think that was Ghost Watch Halloween. Maybe so, that'd be what we do yeah. going forward. So Halloween episode is the, clo- is the season closer. We went into the winter. We came back changed. We did. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we so remember? That, that's when we just like talked almost exclusively about erotic fascism. Right? Yeah. It's been yeah, but like it ha- like what um, a year. my fa- <laughs> <Yeah>. reminiscing. <laughs> I'm dro- I think my favourite moment of uh, this season was when um no actually wait a minute I can't think of anything. My favourite two, my favourite two dumb, my favourite two dumb things, <laughs> just it's on the, in the mood for reminiscing, my favourite two dumb things I've done on the podcast was in the very first episode, I forgot the word, what the word film was, oh, yeah. and, and I said, you know, magnetic camera reels, you know, we got, we got, we got red, we got fucking, we, some like, this blogger lady, who's very nice, I'm, I'm sure, but like, she went into full roast mode and called us like zoomers and said that could, because yeah. you you could like Generation Z so oh. basically like We're not Generation Z but we would have been like seventeen at the time if that was the case uh, basically um, she was like oh yeah these are Generation Z i.e. younger than millennials hence they don't know what film is I don't know what <laughs> film is I just forgot the words I'm an idiot. I'm wanting to say photo tape. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Betamax. Betamax. <laughs> yeah. Because we know about that through our vaporwave. <laughs> yeah, that stuff they used back in the, the first wave vaporwave. <laughs> a lot of good men died in that wave. <laughs> <laughs> the other idiotic thing I did was when I was trying to think of the name of literally any famous person on the Ghostwatch episode, the, the only one that came to mind was the tired man named Sean on Radio 6. Sean Keaton. Yeah, Sean well, Keaton. That, that was a really weird thing to pull into that. I don't know why I said that. I just like <laughs> listening to Radio 6. Uh, I like, okay. Uh, Is this a plug? <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, can, we get, can we get a slot? That'd be great. Can you imagine that? Please. I mean, like, we hate the BBC. They're a bunch of libs. But... But <laughs> we will sell out to on the BBC. We should finish. Uh, we should finish. Yeah, all right. right. Well, what if we do the, the that thing we did with Chris, where it's like, no, no. Let's do the um, the super do, So if you say, <laughs> okay. Um, so if we say till next time, keep it weird simultaneously, and you yeah. say and stay signal. Okay. Presumably not all at the same time. Like no, <laughs> let's no. try that actually. Okay. Well, as, uh, all yeah. at the same time. Yes. Wait. What? No. Wait. <laughs> wait. You say keep it weird. You say keep it signal. I'll say keep it weird. The discourse is real. So three. What two. am I saying? <laughs> keep it signal. Keep it signal. Okay. Three, two, one. Keep, keep it, it signal. Real. Good night. <laughs> and good luck. Yeah. <laughs>